when it's time for adventure. It's time for Superman. Alexander Salkine presents Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor in Superman 3. This time, Richard Pryor has come to Metropolis. Oh, I'm sorry. And he's got something to sell. <laughs> he's the best con man and the world's greatest computer genius. Let me tell you something. I can't ski! But then he falls. <laughs> for a scheme to turn the ultimate computer into the ultimate weapon. Well, what would it do for me? It would do anything you tell me to tell it to do. A machine so powerful. Baby! It's Daddy! It can control the Earth. Now, getting down to business. Change the weather. Now something. You're a genius. And reprogram Superman. Thought you'd never get here. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> he didn't die. I ask you to kill Superman, and you're telling me you couldn't even do that one simple thing. Ah. All right, Webster, the game's over. But only the man who pulled the switch on Superman. Oh, uh, see, I'm not with them, Superman. Could have fooled me, mister. Can pull the plug on Super Machine. You're going to go down in history as the man who killed Superman. Um, no. Thank you, brother. Superman 3. Uh, watch the trees. Whoa! This time is going to be the best time of all. The Man of Scream. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 134 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to be another diversion from the Super Friends as I head back into the realm of live action with my coverage of Superman 3, starring uh, Christopher Reeve. And unlike my coverage of the previous uh, Christopher Reeve films, this will only be one episode. It's kind of an objective uh, conclusion that as you go through the series, the Christopher Reeve Superman films diminish in quality from the first film to the second to the third and eventually to the fourth. So they, the later sequels don't necessarily deserve the same coverage as previous films. And there was a lot less drama involved with Superman 3, as uh, even though it was a lower quality film. Which, uh, you know, as I, as I look back on kind of the history of Superman on the big screen, is there's always been some kind of drama involving creating his films, so... Maybe uh, the less you hear about a Superman movie while it's being made, the uh, lower in quality it's going to be. I don't know. Well, anyway, I won't be alone this week. I'll have uh, a couple of uh, familiar uh, voices on the podcast this week. I'll be joined by Patrick Delmore, Dario Gonzalez, and Brian Hughes. But before I get to that, I have feedback to address. I have a letter here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 123. Dave writes, 
Greetings, Mike. These were a couple of good ones, especially Universal Evil. Like you, I'm a sucker for the alternate Earth with evil versions of the characters we know type of story. I also love the idea that the evil versions know and admit that they are evil, even naming their headquarters the Hall of Evil, and themselves the Super Enemy, as if evil people can't be friends. I do have to wonder about the effectiveness of the alternate Earth police forces, since the Hall of Evil seems to be a very visible building, unlike the Hall of Doom, and is even labeled. Can't the cops raid the place with kryptonite weapons and other appropriate weapons? It really is a shame that we never got to see the Super Friends going back to battle the Super Enemies. That certainly would be a fun episode. Terror at 20,000 Fathoms is not as much fun for me, but I always love any appearance of the bottle city of Kandor. I do have to wonder though, when Superman claims that the vault in the Fortress of Solitude contains all known kryptonite in the world, surely we all know by experience that there's always some kryptonite out there, but maybe that's why he says all the known kryptonite. Looking forward to hearing you finish off this season's episodes with Frankenstein and Oz next week. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. I really don't have a ton to say on uh, Dave's letter. You know, we are both suckers for alternate evil versions of the characters we know. It is an opposite world in the sense that everything that's good in our world is evil on the other. But uh, maybe, uh, you know, things are opposite on their world too. Like, like for instance, maybe the uh, police force in the universe that is known as ours or home or whatever the episode called maybe the home police force is competent while the alternate earth's police force is incompetent i don't know and you would think that maybe in that universe the villains would be heroic could you imagine a good guy joker but anyway uh but i guess it kind of stands to reason that if the heroes are always winning in our world perhaps the the villains are always winning in that one i guess the cops could raid the place with kryptonite and other appropriate weapons i believe they were kind of shooting at superman with kryptonite-ish weapons weren't they it's been so long ago i'd have to go back to the episode and check but yeah i am with dave though one of my it's not even i can't really say it's my regret it's uh kind of something i wish happened but didn't i really do wish that like dave there was an episode with the super friends going back to battle the super enemies that would definitely have been a lot of fun and as far as dave's comments on terror at twenty thousand fathoms i'm pretty much at the same boat enjoyed the the appearance of candor and uh miss seeing superman you know never got an answer what superman and wonder woman were doing on saturn but again that was just kind of a plot device to get him off the planet and one and wonder woman too apparently and dave kind of answered his own question about the uh the kryptonite and uh superman did qualify the statement by saying all the known kryptonite. Since it's all the known kryptonite, it's all the kryptonite he knows about, hence it's all in his fortress. So the qualifier, known kryptonite, definitely leaves open the possibility that there is other kryptonite out there. So that's pretty much all I got from Dave. Uh I encourage any of you to uh to write in. Uh you could do so at uh manascreen at gmail.com. And uh at this point I'm gonna take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and I'll give you some uh Some of the background on Superman 3. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne? Oh, he, he just draws the greatest butt on superman it looks so good john byrne is the greatest artist i've ever seen wait who is he john byrne's 1986 man of steel series gave us the core reimagining of superman that is still with us today third degree burn a podcast about all things john byrne the good the bad 
and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I got a question though. I just am curious. Why doesn't Green Lantern have any junk? All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, here is some, uh, I'm just going to give you some background information to start on Superman 3 before I get into the conversation with uh, Brian, Pat, and Dario. Original release date in the U.S. was June 17th, 1983, which means I would have been two years old when this film came out. Directed by Richard Lester. Writing credits include Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and the screenplay was by David and Leslie Newman. According to IMDb, Mario Puzo had a uncredited characters credit on the film. I can only assume that is for Brad, who is in this film, and an older version of the jock from the first film, so I can only imagine that was why uh, somebody believes Puzo is uh, deserving of a character credit. That's the only character I can think of that Puzo created that's in this film. So, our cast uh, includes Christopher Reeve as Superman and Clark Kent. This is the first time that Christopher Reeve is top-billed in a Superman movie. In uh, Superman the movie, he was... uh, third build after marlon brando and gene hackman and in superman 2 he got second building underneath gene hackman gus gorman as richard pryor who we're, who we're going to have a lot to talk about in the next segment jackie cooper as perry white mark mcclure as jimmy olsen arnett o'toole as lana lang annie ross as vera webster pamela stevenson as lorelei robert vaughn as ross webster margot kidder as lois lane gavin o hurley as brad Nancy Roberts as the unemployment clerk, Graham Stark as the blind man, Henry Wolfe as the penguin man, Gordon Rawlings as the man in cap, Peter Ware as the bank robber, Justin Case as uh, the mime. And just a fun note, when I worked uh, upstate covering uh, high school sports, there was a kid on one of the local basketball teams named Justin Case. What an unfortunate name for a human being. Bob Todd is the dignified gent. I'm guessing that's the guy who has the bucket fall on his head in the uh, opening slapstick segment. Terry... Camilleri is the delivery man. Stefan Kalapa is the data school instructor. Helen Horton is uh, Miss Henderson. She's the jingo lady. Lou Hirsch is Fred. Bill Reinbold as wages man. That's probably the guy uh, pushing the uh, the paycheck cart in uh, Websco. Shane Rimmer as the state policeman. Al Matthews as the fire chief. Barry Denon as Dr. McLean. And Enid Saunders as Minnie Bannister. Kevin Harrison Cook is the DJ. Robert Henderson as Mr. Simpson. Paul Kaithler as Ricky. R.J. Bell is Mr. Stokus. Pamela Mandel is Mrs. Stokus. That's the couple who won the Jingo contest. And looking at their IMDb photos, both of their profile pictures are from Superman 3. Peter Whitman as Man at the Cash Point. That's the guy who the ATM went crazy and kept giving him all his money. Ronnie Brody is the husband and uh, Sandra Dickinson is the wife. I'm guessing there he is the hu- the man who got the very high charge bill from Bloomingdale's while Gus was uh, doing some computer hacking and... Uh, the wife is the woman who uh, whose nose got used to juice an orange. Philip Gilbert is the newsreader. 
and Pat Starr is the white-coated scientist. Gordon Signer is the mayor. John Bluthel is the pizza vendor. George Chisholm is the street sweeper, and I believe his photo is from Superman 3 as well. David Fielder is the Olympic runner who gets the torch blown out. Robert Beatty is the tanker captain, who we'll talk about in the next segment. Christopher Malcolm is the first miner, and Larry Lamb is the second miner. That's uh, quite the list, and it goes on and on, and we'll talk about a bunch of these people in the uh, in the next segment. So, all right, as far as uh, this movie is concerned, most of the interior scenes were shot at Pinewood Studios just outside of London. The uh, junkyard scene was filmed on the Pinewood backlot, and uh, the coal mine scene at the end was filmed at the Battersea Power Station where apparently Richard Lester had previously shot scenes for the Beatles film Help. And most of the exteriors were filmed in Calgary due to Canada's uh, tax breaks. And uh, speaking of Calgary, uh, one of uh, the members of the Facebook group, are, who goes by the name Ranger Gord, who actually, believe it or not, this post uh, generated a lot of activity. You know, I posted uh, the, the coming soon for this on the uh, same night the episode for the Donner Cut of Superman 2 came out, episode 130. And this generated quite a bit of a... Uh, activity in the facebook group i was uh quite quite surprised so some of the information gorda gave me is that uh gord wrote that you get to see in alberta you get to see high river play smallville and uh, apparently that's where john byrne grew up according to gord and superman drinks in the bar where the mayor of calgary also hung out as you can see in the movie it's filmed at the st louis hotel or i guess st louis hotel in downtown east village calgary the uh, mayor was would eventually be at the uh, premiere of the film and as far as the movie goes uh Gord says he'll always give this movie a pass just because of the filming sites, but he still doesn't know what Richard Pryor is doing in it. It's like he's acting in a whole other film that got spliced in. And he said maybe outtakes from Silver Streak, a uh, previous uh, Richard Pryor film. And uh, that's something we're going to talk about in the next segment, where how it does seem as though the Richard Pryor stuff and the Clark Kent Superman stuff is are parallel films that kind of crash into each other at the end. And that's uh, and some of the other notable locations. Uh, the supercomputer set was created on... Uh, Pinewood's 007 stage and the exteriors were shot at Glen Canyon in Utah. So I'm going to give the uh, synopsis uh, in this segment as opposed to the the discussion of the movie. Once we get to the uh, discussion, we'll go right into uh, talking about the film. And this uh, synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. Gus Gorman, a chronically unemployed ne'er-do-well, discovers that he has a talent for computer programming and is hired at the Metropolis-based conglomerate WebScope. Gus embezzles from his employer through salami slicing, bringing him to the attention of CEO Ross Webster. Webster was intrigued by Gus's potential to help him rule the world financially. Joined by sister Vera and psychic nutritionist Lorelai Ambrosia, Ross blackmails Gus into helping him. Clark Kent convinces Daily Planet boss Perry White to let him return to Smallville for his high school reunion. En route, as Superman, he extinguishes a fire in a chemical plant containing unstable Beltric acid. Sir, we better get out of here now. I'll show you the quickest way. Go on and look after the others. I can't leave here. Why not? i got to stay and look after those. That's concentrated Beltric acid. That stuff heats up over 180 degrees. We've got a crisis on our hands that'll make this fire look like a Sunday school picnic. What does it do? As long as it remains stable, it's just ordinary acid, no problem. But if it begins to heat up, it'll turn volatile. If that happens, you'll get a great cloud of smoke that'll eat through anything. Steel, concrete, anything. At the reunion, Clark is reunited with childhood friend Lana Lang, a divorcee with a young Sam named named Ricky, and harassed by Brad Wilson, her ex-boyfriend. Infuriated by Columbia's refusal to do business with him. I want coffee. All right, black cream sugar? Or no, just no, 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 you don't seem to understand that. Under different company names, I control the price of coffee beans in Venezuela, Brazil, Bolivia, Jamaica, and the Republic of Gabon. But, yes, I've got a problem, and I think maybe you can help me with it. One country won't play ball with me, and I guess you know how that can bug a guy, right? Huh? That could bug, uh, what country? Columbia. Columbia? 
Colombia has two important exports, and one of them's coffee. And I have tried to reason with them. Believe me, I have tried. But this one miserable, pissant little country has the gall to think that it can dictate the economy of an open market. Gus. Gus, my friend. We're going to teach them a lesson, aren't we? Oh, uh, Mr. Weston. Destroy the entire Colombian coffee crop right down to the last. The last bean, we... Right. But you got so much, you know, like... You know, a wise man once said, I think it was Attila the Hun, it is not enough that I succeed. Everyone else must fail. Seems fair. Gus. What? You are going to do this for me. How? The weather. You didn't tell me your mother was going to be here. I'm his sister, his baby sister. Gus, tell me, have you ever heard of Vulcan? Hi, Miss Vulcan. Vulcan is the weather satellite our government put up in orbit to monitor the weather. But if somebody were to reprogram it, it could do much more. It could make weather. Storms and floods. Lizards, heat waves. How do you do that? Like everything else in the 20th century, Gus. You push buttons. Gus travels to Smallville to use the offices of Wheat King, a subsidiary of WebSkill, to reprogram the, the satellite. Though Vulcan creates a devastating storm, Ross's scheme is thwarted when Superman neutralizes, saving the harvest. Ross orders Gus to use his computer knowledge to create kryptonite. Now that he's pulled off this stunt, he'll try and stick his nose into my oil scheme and ruin that too. Who's the teacher sent to the principal's office? I've got to get rid of him. But how? Shoot him? You know about him and bullets. Kryptonite. What? Or... Krypton ham or Krypton Heimer? I don't know what you call it, but there's this stuff that can, like, hurt Superman. How would you know about that? Oh, I know a few things. So I understand from the graffiti I've seen. Wait a second. She's right. Kryptonite. I remember reading about it in an interview with him. Well, where does it come from? The same planet that Superman came from, Krypton. Where is Krypton? It's nowhere. It blew up in space many years ago. They sent Superman here from there when he was just a baby. Right! See, I know some things, too. Wait a minute. Now, you know what happens when a planet explodes? Debris. Things floating in space. So? So, all we have to do is find out where in heaven Krypton used to be. And we just get good old Gus to contact the Vulcan satellite. Uh, old Gus has been doing some thinking. Good. That's why I keep you around. Yeah, I've been thinking that I'm not making enough money for this gig. Gus, if there's anything I hate, it's greed. Greed? Mr. Roth, just a minute. Let me tell you something. I can't ski! Gus uses Vulcan to locate, scan, and analyze Krypton's debris. He discovers that one of the elements of Kryptonite is an unknown compound and substitutes tar. Lana convinces Superman to appear at Ricky's birthday party. The old, old relationships suddenly seem very much the same. Prettiest girl in the school. He's still the prettiest girl in the school. Hello? Hello? Oh, hi, Clark. Lana! Hi. Well, hi, I, I was just, just thinking about you. Oh, um, listen, I, uh, I have a problem with Ricky. Why? What's wrong? What happened to Ricky? Well, it's the autograph you got him from Superman. He got really carried away after that and told the other kids that Superman's even coming to visit him for his birthday next Wednesday. Okay, it was wrong, but when Wednesday comes and Superman doesn't show up, it's just gonna... Well, 
Lana, in this case, I think I can go ahead and speak for Superman. I mean, he and I are pretty close, you know? And you can tell Ricky that Superman will be there on Wednesday, all right? Well, he's going to get the best home-cooked meal he's had in... in a long time. <laughs> you tell Superman we think he's wonderful. All right. But, Clark... Yeah? You're the best. But Smallville turns it into a town celebration. Gus and Vera, disguised as army officers, give Superman the flawed kryptonite, which has no immediate effect. But Superman soon becomes selfish. His desire for Lana causes him to delay rescuing a truck driver from a jackknifed rig hanging from a bridge. Hello? Yes. What? Really? Yeah, yeah, he's here. I'll tell him, okay. Thanks, bye-bye. Superman? Uh, that was my friend Betty. There's been an accident on the old river bridge. A trailer truck crashed through the barrier rail. It's hanging off the side of the bridge and the driver's still in the cab. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate to make you rush off. Well, there's no rush. But the bridge... Oh, it's okay. I always get there on time. Come on, let's relax a little. It's unusual finding a good-looking girl like you alone like this. Listen, um, are you sure you shouldn't do something about the bridge? What bridge? You're right. Superman becomes depressed, upset, and casually destructive, committing petty acts of vandalism, such as blowing out the Olympic flame and straightening the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Gus, feeling used, gives Ross crude plans for a supercomputer, and Ross agrees to build it in return for Gus creating an oil embargo. Hey, honey, am I in your way? Stick around, you might learn something. Yeah. Hi, Lorelai. All the oil tankers in the world are totally controlled by computers. The computers tell them where to go, how much oil to pick up, and where to deliver it. I mean, don't they have captains on these ships? Why, uh, yes, but they don't need them. That's a throwback to some sort of sentimental seafaring baloney. You will command the tankers to sail toward a 50-mile area in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And do what? And do nothing. Just sit there. How are all the people going to get their oil? <laughs> You catch on fast, old buddy. Every oil pump in America is run by... Computers, I know! Will you stop interrupting? I'm sorry, You will command the pumps to stop pumping. Then, I want you to program one special command into all these systems. Tell them these orders are irreversible. So it will be impossible for anybody to switch them back. Can you do this for me, old buddy? Old pal? Huh? You know, you get your way all the time. And it's not right. I want to know when I get a taste. I 
think you've already had a taste of freedom, haven't you? Or would you prefer jail? You can't run that jail number on me anymore. Because I know I mean more to you out here doing things for you than sitting in jail doing nothing for nobody. I see. What do you want? What? A wastebasket? <laughs> no. These are plans. Blueprints. For what? A computer. We've already got computers. No, not like this. There's not a computer like this in the whole world, any place. It doesn't exist. You see, we have to build it. Well, what will it do? Anything I tell it. What will it do for me? For you? It'll do anything you tell me to tell it to do for you. Tell me. Well, Baba, first of all, if anyone attacks this machine or anything, the computer counterattacks. I mean, it finds their weaknesses and wipes them out. Right, old buddy. You deal with my oil, and I'll build you your machine. I'll do it. But I'm not so sure about this irreversible business. When the captain of one tanker insists on maintaining his original course, Lorelei seduces Superman. Thought you'd never get here. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't worry. I'm long past saving. <laughs> well, don't let me keep you from anything. I'm not in a rush. What did you have in mind? Lots of things. Oh, uh, yeah? <gasps> Ooh. If you'll just do me one little favor first. What's that? Well, see, there's this little boat, and it's not going where it's supposed to go, and... persuading him to waylay the tanker and breach the hull, causing a massive oil spill. The villains decamp to the computer's location in Glen Canyon. Superman goes on a drinking binge, is overcome by guilt, and suffers a nervous breakdown. In a junkyard, Superman splits into two personas, the immoral, corrupted Superman, and the moral, righteous Clark Kent. They engage in a battle, ending when Clark strangles his evil identity. Restored to his normal self, Superman repairs the damage his counterpart caused. After defending himself from rocket and an MX missile, Superman confronts Ross, Vera, and Lorelei. Alright, Webster, the game's over. Hi, honey. I don't know you, lady. But the other night. I'm sorry, but that wasn't me. That guy's gone. And you're next, Webster. Never underestimate the power of computers. How do you like it? I think it's typical of people like you, Webster. Instead of helping others, all the four of you want to do is help yourselves. Four of you? You mean not four? Wait. Oh, hey, man. That's only his last name. He likes to be called Superman. Oh, uh, see, I'm not with them, Superman. You could have fooled me, mister. Gus's supercomputer identifies him as a threat and attempts to determine his weakness, unleashing a beam of pure kryptonite. Guilt-ridden and horrified by the prospect of going down in history as the man who killed Superman, Gus destroys kryptonite ray with a firefighter's axe, whereupon Superman flees. The computer becomes self-aware 
defending itself against Gus's attempt to disable it. Ross and Lorelai escape the control room, but Vera is transformed into a cyborg. Vera attacks her brother and Lorelai with beams of energy that immobilize. Superman returns with a canister of the Beltric Acid. Superman places the canister by the supercomputer, which does not resist as it suspects no danger. The intense heat emitted by the supercomputer causes the acids to turn volatile, destroying the supercomputer. Superman flies away with Gus, leaving Ross and his cronies to the authorities. How you doing there, Gus? Please don't talk to me. I'm having enough trouble just hanging on. Okay, we'll go slow. Uh, You're perfectly safe. I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, any man who can trick my machine can do anything. How did you beat my defenses? Well, those defenses are pretty good as long as the machine doesn't know it's in trouble. This time it didn't see the danger. I just went in there with a plain old can of acid. The machine didn't know that when that stuff gets hot enough, it'll leap through anything. Uh -huh. uh, watch the trees. Uh -huh. I guess it died of acid indigestion. Mm -hmm. But what's going to happen to Rusty Boston and the other two ladies? Well, they're going to have to see the police now. It's not your problem anymore. Whoa! Are we in the trouble yet? Nope. I'm just going to make a little stop. Right over there. Ooh, oh. <laughs> We're on the ground, Gus. And drops Gus off at a West Virginia coal mine, where Superman recommends him to the company as a computer programmer. Superman returns to Metropolis. As Clark, he pays a visit to Lana, where he is attacked by Brad who has stalked Lana, only to end up falling into a room service cart. Lana has also found employment at the Daily Planet as Periobite's new secretary. He restores the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and then flies into the sunrise for further adventures. All right, and that pretty much rounds that up. Before I get into the discussion with uh, Brian Patton Dario, I want to discuss my origin with this film. Like the others, this film was always there for me. It was, you know, always in my memory were Superman, the movie, Superman 2 and Superman 3. I've mentioned on countless occasions, the red clamshell cases of Superman the movie and Superman 2. We didn't have one, at least initially, at, for Superman 3. It was recorded off HBO on a T-160 uh, VHS tape. My father used the uh, T-160 because the movie went slightly over the one... Uh, the 120 minutes on a standard VHS, so he had, you know, he had, to, he had to catch everything from the beginning to the end credits, so, and he didn't do what a lot of people do and put multiple movies on uh, one tape. He was a stickler for basically one movie, one tape, and uh, putting them on standard play, which, you know, gave you the best quality as far as the videotape goes, so there was some room on the back of this tape, and I always remember, for some reason, on the back of it, after the movie was the 1978 Puff the Magic Dragon short. I don't know why he decided to put that on the end of it. Maybe it was on after after it on HBO or something. I I don't really have an answer, and I'll bet if I asked him now, uh, he wouldn't remember, being that it was so long ago. But so that was how I watched it for quite some time. Around 1998, we managed to get a hold of a, a clamshell case of Superman three. I think it was 1988 because if I recall, the 50th anniversary logo was on. Uh, that case, the uh, Superman with the uh, coming out of the ring with the birthday cake. And also, it is alleged that I saw this film in the theaters. I've told a story before about how my mother tried to take me to see Snow White in sometime in 1983, and I didn't really enjoy it, having already been exposed to both this film and Return of the Jedi. So, I guess at two years old, I like this film. You know, it is a step down in quality from the previous sequels, but, you know, once you, uh, once something gets a hold of you at a very young age, it doesn't really let go. So, that's all I've got for at least just by myself. I'm going to take a uh, podcast promo break. Then when I come back, I'll be joined by Patrick Delmore, Dario Gonzalez, and Brian Hughes. And we're going to discuss Superman 3. Hang around, folks.
Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier? To explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast, as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Welcome back, folks. I have here with me, I have some of my previous guests that you'll remember from Superman the Movie and Superman 2 coverage. I have Dario Gonzalez here. I asked you to kill Superman, and you couldn't do that one simple thing. Is it really that simple? <laughs> no! I also have Patrick Delmore. Too much mayonnaise? I don't love mayonnaise. Why do you think that would be the problem? I just love Lana Lang. And uh, we also have Brian Hughes, one of my cohorts on Fear of the Walking Dead cast. You've got some mustard on your lapel there. Ooh, good. Nice. All right, so here we are. As if you can't tell already from our from our quoting here, we will we will be discussing Superman three. That will be the third Christopher Reeve movie for those of you keeping score at home. Take out your your scorecards and check yeah, off. and your calculator if you need. So this movie came out in for the release. Date. I should really be prepared. Nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Yep. Original release date of this film was June seventeenth, nineteen eighty three. A long time ago. I think it, I think all of us were alive at this point, right? Yep. And yep. that was the 45th anniversary of Superman, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was 45th anniversary. Yeah, 40, 45th anniversary, yes. Quite the present. It was a little, a little I, less pleasant for Superman after it was over. Yeah. I was 17. Holy cow. I was two. <laughs> I was one. <laughs> I was 13. Yay. <laughs> All right, so uh, you know we'll, we'll go around the room a little bit. Uh, Dario was uh, telling us a story. So Dario, what was the uh, what's your origin story with this film? When was the first? Do you remember the first time you saw this? Yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw this, and you know I was coming off of uh, Superman two, which is you know one of the first. You know that Superman two was in rotation on HBO so much that I just watched the hell out of it and I loved it. And then Superman three came out and. And it was all, you know, I went and saw it at the theater and it was on road, you know, it's on HBO every day. And, and, and I, and the 13 year old in me, I thought it was a little weird that Richard Pryor was there, but I remember not hating it, you know, and it's, and that's the sad part about getting old and, you know, you, you learn to like, oh, it's the worst movie in the world and it's bad. It's terrible. And, and I sat down and I watched it again today 
and I probably haven't watched it. God, I can't tell you the last time I watched this movie. And yeah, it's really hokey. And there are just some parts of it that are just make you cringe. But damn it, I didn't exactly hate it as much as I built up this hatred in my mind for it. Uh, sure, it's it's the bad parts are bad, but there is there are some pretty good, pretty good parts in this well, movie. On yeah. the flip side, yeah. you know, you said the bad parts are bad, but the good parts are good. Yes, the, exactly. The good, the good parts I'll put up against anything else in the series. Yeah, yeah. it's it just it wasn't. I wanted to, I wanted to come on here and say, ugh, you know, and if you know, and if we ever do, you know, Superman four, that might be a different story. But <laughs> but I I didn't come off hating it as much as I expected. Does that sound right? I mean, I didn't hate it as much as I thought it was. I I should hate it. I didn't. You know, it's my least favorite as of right now. But well, there's, there's no, there's no should either. You do or you don't. You know, you know. I didn't. I mean, it was is hokey, and it was like watching the a bad episode of your of your favorite sitcom or TV show. You know, oh, The Walking Dead had some. It's like a bad episode of The Walking Dead, but you know, uh, coming off of a really good episode. I think that's probably what I'm trying to say. I mean, it was. And you, you hit the nail on the head, Mike. I mean, the, the bad parts were bad, but the good parts were pretty damn good. And there you have it. And uh, Dario, you probably watched it in the most u- unique setting out of all of us. You probably watched it on one of those little uh, what three by four screens on, on the airplane. No, I uh, I actually I downloaded it onto my iPad, and I was I was coming home from from work. We got we got stuck in uh, Houston last night, so I got to sit like a regular person stuck on, on the planet Houston. Yeah, on the planet Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I got to sit on the you know and uh, and watch it and uh, and on little big screen. Not not quite that, but. I was planning to watch it at home yesterday. I was supposed to be home yesterday, but I watched it on the screen on the page. I couldn't hear very well because my um, earbuds didn't uh, didn't pick up the sound the best. But but I you know I heard didn't get the grand volume. But it, yeah, you know Superman three. Go to mean that he just popped up on my screen. We'll go to Patrick next. I just used the uh, the DC app and uh, streamed it to my TV using the Chromecast. But I hadn't seen this since I was probably nine years old. And it was a it was a birthday treat where I had never seen Superman three. Superman one and two were always on TV, and I, Superman four was the first one I ever saw. So I was like, "Can you guys find to my parents? You know, can you guys find Superman three so I can see it?" And I don't remember hating it then. And I think its reputation is worse than it actually is. I mean, there's it does feel very TV. All of the stuff with uh, Robert Vaughn and co. Other than that, their uh, penthouse is pr- probably a pretty expensive set piece that we wouldn't be able to afford on a television show but um the wire work is great in this yeah smallville is fantastic mm-hmm. i have no complaints about that and uh annette o'toole is one of those people that you know i've known who she was my entire life i can't think of a time where i didn't know who annette o'toole was even at nine years old i'm like oh annette o'toole is lana right even i don't think i even knew who richard Pryor was when i was nine because i didn't watch those uh Gene Wilder movies until I was got in my twenties, but yeah, um, I enjoy. I I did same with uh, same as Dario. Like I don't want to, you know, sing its praises so hard to go. I I really enjoyed it, but I certainly did not have a bad time watching this movie at all. All right, now Brian. Well, I was when I originally saw it. Like I said, I was uh, seventeen years old, and it was that was the first time I ever saw myself as an apologist for a movie. You know. Um, didn't really have any other friends that were comic book collectors or, or anything at that age, uh, that, that could go 
And um, one of my old uh, old childhood friends living down the street said, you know, hey, I wouldn't mind going to see that with you. So we went over to this big movie theater. Now, the multiplexes were all over the place, but there's still a couple of those old timey type movie theaters where it was one big screen. And usually the event movies all showed up there, like Towering Inferno or Midway. And they did those sense around movies at those theaters. And we went and saw it there. And I felt the entire time while I was watching it, like I was reading a Carrie Bates, Kurt Swan comic book. Mm. And um, when the movie is over now, there's things that I love. You know, the Smallville stuff, the fight with the dark, the dark side was just awesome, in, in my opinion. But... You know, at the same time, I was just sitting there cringing at so much and rolling the eyes. And and I kind of felt going into it was going to be that way because, you know, I, I'd seen Richard Pryor in a lot of movies. And I'm like, why do they have Richard Pryor in this when he's like a comedian? And um, as we're getting up to get out of the out of the theater, I just remember turning to my friends. And said, that felt more like a comic book than than a movie to me. And he just kind of, you know, there was like a. A, a snarl of derision there. <laughs> you know, just kind of like, what the hell did I get into here? Well, you know, you're right, because it was such a turnaround from the first two films. I mean, it was it was just a total, total flip of the coin, you know? Right. Uh, it's it's uh, clearly an inferior sequel. Yeah, it, 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 it really it really is. Coming off of the first two movies, the, the slapstick in the beginning, I mean, that's totally Richard Lester. I mean, he... Yeah. He... He got to do, and, and boy, when he he broke loose with that slapstick, he really did. And you couldn't pick a, a you know a different beginning from. It was just crazy from that. This was his type of movie, you know. Yeah, and you know that beginning sequence, the credit sequence with the, with the slapstick, starting with the uh, the woman roller skating into the hot dog stand and into the phone boots. That kind of that sets the tone for the entire movie right there, and uh, you're already kind of rolling your eyes. You know, you're right. It sets the tone for the entire movie, but it almost sets the tone for just the scenes where Richard Pryor are in for the for the most part. You know, a lot of the scenes like like we were saying, the Smallville stuff was great. I liked I loved revisiting Smallville and a lot of the scenes that it's just whenever they had, you know, Richard Pryor, it I mean, there was that that scene where the where the traffic got all snarled up and then the two. Uh, the blind man with the yeah, with the uh, line the painter and the, the yeah. signal light. The guys are fighting. I mean, they had music on there that could have been from "It's a Mad, 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 Mad World." Yeah, it's exactly like that. I even wrote it down. I, I mean, it was just that's what the title like what he was going for. But yeah, it's just. I mean, you guys, did you uh, anybody look up what the original storyline was was going to be for this? Yes, I actually I do have I do have it here. You might I think that that, that I want to know what what you guys think All about. Right. Here here it is. Ilya Salkind originally wrote a treatment for the film that included Brainiac, Mister Mixias Pitalik, mm-hmm. and Supergirl, but Warner Brothers didn't like it. Actually, it was released uh, online in 2007. I read it and was absolutely dismayed. The um, I got this from Wikipedia here. The uh, Mister Mixias Pitalik portrayed in the outline varies from his good-humored comic counterpart as he uses his abilities to cause serious harm. And apparently Dudley Moore was top choice to play the role. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just off of Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. Superman, uh, look at me! Look at me! <laughs> Shut up, little slang, you bitch! Oh, and you know what? That's not even the we- that's not even the weirdest stuff. 
No, that's the tamest part. Because in the same movie, we have Brainiac was from Kalu, and he had discovered Supergirl in the same way that Superman was found by the Kent. Brainiac is portrayed as a surrogate father to Supergirl, and eventually fell in love with his quote-unquote daughter. Did not reciprocate his feelings, as she had fallen in love with Superman. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty Thank wack- God we didn't get that. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty whacked out, uh, you know, like you said, my Brainiac saves Supergirl, takes her to an alternate dimension, raises her, and then she starts to get creeped out by him. And she makes her way to, you know, our dimension and meets Superman. And they kind of, yeah, depending on what you read, they either had a thing or they, 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 she fell in love with him. And then Brainiac finds them, comes back, you know, creates this huge computer that can control Superman's emotions, makes him crazy. And then it gets really weird. He takes Supergirl to medieval times and then with the help of um Mix Pickelick, uh they go back to medieval times and they rest I forgot about the medieval times. Yeah, it's, it's, it was just nuts. But some aspect I mean, why couldn't we have a damn brainiac in one of these movies? I mean this would have been the perfect time. And you know the Salt Times they they probably saw Richard Pryor and they had they had two movies that had made relatively good money. And and they're ready to do the third. And they just maybe they just didn't want to take a chance. You know, Pryor was on Johnny Carson saying how much he liked Superman, too. Mo, I want to see Superman, too. Superman, too. That's my that's what I'm waiting on to see. Really? Yeah. So did you see Superman? one? Sure. Well, this one, you know, remember the people in the glass? Yeah. Well, he goes and gets them. Yeah. And brings them back to Earth accidentally. And there's four Supermans. I didn't know that. Yeah. And a one Superwoman. Oh, it's going to be good. The previews are great. We're sitting in the theater. Yeah, it's soup! <laughs> we'll be right back. So maybe they said, hey, it's a Yeah, sh- that's exactly what they did. Yeah, that's let's it. not take a chance on a movie. You know, let's just do a sure thing. We'll, we'll. So that's why part of that movie feels like you know, a Richard Pryor movie with a Superman cameo. But on watching it again, I doubt that those guys... I mean, let's. How many scenes did they actually have together? The first time I think they were together was in Smallville, no, where was, yeah, there Clark waxed them with the there door. Was one, War, there was one in Metropolis, I thought, at the very yeah, beginning. In the very beginning, were they the, during no. this whole slapstick routine? Wasn't there? No, were they Richard Pryor is actually not in that sequence at all. Nope. No. Okay. Came in the unemployment office. Then after the uh, after this the scene, the opening credits on the street where everything is going and going to hell. In supposedly hilarious fashion, I didn't find anything hilarious. But uh, but yeah. then after that, they you, they cut to the computer school, and uh, Gus Gorman is uh showing his stuff to the computer teacher here. Yeah, he just has. No, Richard Pryor is not in that sequence at all. You're right. You're right. And he's not in. They're only together. Uh, I don't even know if they're on the same shot when in the in the cave fighting the computer. If they film that separately, but I just maybe that. Let's uh, let's go ahead and throw that in. And, yeah, you and, never see. I don't think you see then, them on. You see them on screen together when he gets whack. Clark whacks know. him with the door in Smallville. Yeah, and yeah. then the other part is when he's flying him home, or he's where I guess the, not the the birthday party. The, yeah, the birthday the general the birthday when party. he was the general and he gave yeah, him the, that's right. the yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then then you don't see them together until uh, the confrontation at the end. Right, and then he uh, Superman flies him, flies him home. Kind of an asshole because he drops them off in the middle of a coal mine and. <laughs> I mean, apparently that that fake kryptonite hadn't worn off yet. No, no. Superman, <laughs> Superman offered to offered to take him with him. Okay, Gus, let's go. I was afraid you'd say that. I, I was thinking about taking the bus. Well, you see it yourself. 
Say, does your boss have a computer in this operation? Yeah, he, he got a little bitty one about that big. Well, you tell him he could do a lot worse than to give Gus Gorman here a job. Well, thank you, sir. Take care. I'll see you around. So long. Take it easy, man. Gus yeah, he, he he didn't want. He yeah, said, he, after he created the diamond, he said, "Come on, Gus, let's go." And <laughs> but he dropped him in a coal mine. Gus wanted to stay. He's he like, "Yeah, here, I got a great job for you. <laughs> Work on this on this Commodore that he's got." And yeah, and he's gonna take the bus nine or ten miles. But but no, it was you know. I All right. Think. Uh, while while we're talking about Richard Pryor, because a lot of people will say this, is it Richard Pryor's fault? No, no. He, I mean, you hire Richard Pryor because you want what Richard Pryor brings. Yeah, and and he was Richard Pryor. I mean, that's that's what that's Richard Pryor. I mean, I get I guess that that he didn't really like the script, and he pretty much just did it for the money. As you know, and Christopher Reed wasn't five million dollars. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah, I'm not happy with the script either, and and uh, and it was just a money. You know, you, you know. Reeves didn't almost didn't come back, and he was pretty unhappy with it. I read the um, Cotswinkle novel based on you know, I wanted uh, the Newman the Newman screenplay, and very different character they wrote for Richard Pryor than what he plays in the movie. I've heard that 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 novelization was very dark and not written for kids. It's weird. Yes, it's, it's like. Superman has complete contempt for Clark Kent and all of humanity. He just sits, he, you know, even before the weather satellite hits him, he's like, I could destroy this uh, high school that I went to. I could kill everybody if I wanted to. And then uh, Gus Gorman always has his yo-yo and it gets more and more elaborate. Like <laughs> well, Vuitton, the, yo-yo the, in the movie, too. The Louis Vuitton yo-yo, yeah. that was... <laughs> yeah, and he does a lot of writhing around on his... Uh, chair like when he's got to go up to the uh to the boss's office he rides his uh his chair up there and he's still got the yo-yo can play music and it lights up and they wrote all his lines in kind of pigeon english and uh what's it the sister um is supposedly an exact look-alike for joseph stalin <laughs> and they keep saying you know <laughs> are you kidding me no <laughs> I, I read i was hoping i'm gonna to track this it. down now yeah you said, you said i have it cram it and and I'm, and I'm glad you did because I because I had heard that it was very dark and it wasn't written for kids and it leaves it leaves adults thinking what the hell and and kids that would try and read it would just like would not even understand what the hell is going on. So did did you did you uh, finish it? I did not end up being able to finish it. I got right to um, right to where Gus was going to take over the weather satellite and um, didn't have time to finish. it. I will finish it though because it was it's it's interesting. Oh, you got a lot. A lot more with um, what's his name? Oh, Hurley's character. Oh, Brad. Where he, yeah, where he gets he gets drunk and goes out and tries to play football with himself and is having this fantasy where uh, cheerleaders are crawling all over him and stuffing pom poms in his mouth. And well, he definitely kind of comes through as the guy who uh, his glory days were were high school and he's still living in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so funny because every time I see Brad, I I, I laugh. Uh, number one because uh, he's uh, Dan O'Hillary's son, you know, Greg from uh, Last Starfighter. Really? Yeah, that's Gavin O'Hillary. He also played Chuck on Happy Days, the older <laughs> brother that disappeared. <laughs> the long and, of course, and he was in Never Say Never Again, the, the renegade Bond film. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like every time I see him, it's like, 
oh, that loser. And he always plays a loser. Right. He plays a good loser, though. Yes, he does. You know the funny thing about uh, about Brad is that I was looking on IMDb and it shows that Mario Puzo has a has a writing credit for characters. It's got to be for Brad. He, I wouldn't be surprised. That is the only I character mean, I could think of that he created for Superman the movie that's here. Uh, non. Non is not in Superman three. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Here, in this movie. In IMDb lists him as a character's credit. Like, what character could it possibly be? And I can, I can yeah. only think of Brad. Yeah, you're right. Um, there, did, I was surprised at how much product placement there was. Yeah. In well, there was product placement all over all. This one, boy, I mean, Superman is a Johnny Walker drinker. Um, there, <laughs> and a lot of booze. There's a lot of booze in this movie, man. It there almost is. makes me think that it's an anti-alcohol. Uh, type of of message going on behind this movie because man you see booze that's a hell of a suitcase that gus had (laughs) i mean and where did he get the big foam cowboy hat uh maybe maybe that was in the wheat king's office yeah i think it had to be in there (laughs) (laughs) because he didn't have it when uh when he showed up at the door yeah well the the official like cringe worthy moment i think in this movie was when richard Pryor drove up as a, as the general with the fake kryptonite, that's when I oh. said, "Oh God, okay, now we're gonna, now we're, now we're putting them together. Now we've got." Oh, you mean you mean the the quote unquote Philly Flash wasn't uh, when when he drags that, Brad through the uh, through the office? Yeah, that was. It was a Richard Pryor movie. I mean, yeah, what, it, it what, these were these were Richard Pryor movies, and uh, it's almost like he took over the filming. He he did, but but. As we were saying, man, there were some parts that I really enjoyed. I really liked the Smallville. And I remember even like I even liked that as a kid, you know. Right. I liked the going back to Smallville and and the whole, you know, the whole dirty Superman <laughs> which that dirty suit which which actually won't won't make it what comes back in Superman returns, that whole color scheme. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> he put it away until they made that movie. But I just love that aspect of it. But but uh, you know, Camel cigarettes made a big had uh, were everywhere in there. Everywhere you could see, you know, yeah. Gus wrote the plans for his supercomputer on the back of a Camel cigarette pack, and the Camel gave him the idea to put tar in the kryptonite. Tar in the kryptonite, <laughs> and and oh gosh, you know, at the very beginning, the guy that uh, Gus asked for a cigarette or asked for a light. Right. At the unemployment office. I think that's the same guy that pulled the switchblade in Animal House. But I can't confirm it anywhere. Confirm it? I can't confirm it. I, I've looked on, on both just to see if there's, you know, if they if they make note of a character, but they uh, neither one neither one of those movies has anyone listed like that. Right. Because nice. for Animal House, he would be switchblade guy, you know? Yeah, nice, right. to, it's nice to see he's finding work. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's great. Switchblade and then a lighter. He's good with little. But, but we, I don't know. I don't know if it would be the same guy because wouldn't an extra an extra in this movie would be English. Yeah, that's possible. They did film in Canada too. I'm sure they didn't film that in Canada. I know, I know they filmed the Smallville scenes in Canada, but yeah, I don't know if they yes. if they filmed anything else. And did you guys notice all of the signs were written? Uh, you could tell they were made in England. Yeah, all the O U R's and. <laughs> yeah, if if you look right above the computer, authorized is spelled with an S. Yes, I didn't notice that. <laughs> and on the and on the ultimate computer at the end, defense is spelled with a C. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. Even the computers would expect accept misspellings like receive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this movie had a budget of thirty nine million dollars. I mean, so 
the special effects, with the exception of the Godzilla-like missiles. Well, five, of it, five of it went to uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what it took to get Christopher Reeve back. Well, the, the thing is, all the flying effects, all the uh, the Superman effects, for the most part, were flawless. I mean, there was a couple times where you could see the rigging or the shadow of the rigging, and, and maybe you could see a wire here and there. But they really had his flying stuff down, and it was probably some of the best flying effects that we'd seen Except in any of the movies. at the camera, yeah, tell it looked kind of animated. Superman uh, 4 has the same problem among all of his other problems. The scenes where he just like runs off to go to the lake or, you know, just takes off flying or comes in on a landing, those were, those really, really look good. Yeah, I, I really the, like, uh, the after, scene. after he, uh, is restored, the, uh, the flying shot right after he flies away from the junkyard is glorious. Mm-hmm. The, the frozen lake thing was cool. I liked, I liked that. That was a, I mean, I didn't have any problems with, with the effects. It was 1983, except for the uh, the underground missiles that came up. They looked very like Godzilla-ish. Yeah, you know the someone miniatures, used, obvious yeah. miniatures. And they had some stock footage in there too. Some uh, some. But, uh, I want to go back to the uh, unemployment office. You know, the guy gave him the pack of matches. Did you read the 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 thing on the pack of matches? Well, it said earn big money mm-hmm. through computing to become a computer and programmer. It had the yeah. phone number. One two three four five. Oh six, yeah, Metropolis. One two three four five six seven eight. Yes, I, <laughs> I caught that. I caught that today. Oh, when I watched it last night. Oh God, yeah. And <laughs> and I guess he was just a natural for computers, right? He really didn't. No, know, apparently yeah. he had some kind of talent because he was able to do. He did one thing in the class that even the the teacher didn't know what he did. If, he did. if this was actually written as a comic book. I think it would be more like Gus actually has superpowers that he's not aware of to make things happen. Yeah. Because he didn't actually have any real talent. But on the computer, he just lists a screen and it would just, you know, basically list out the screen. Uh, you know, and, and when he created his uh, supercomputer, all he had was, you know, this does this, this does that, or, or whatever. The, the, the blueprints were very, very limited in what they were supposed to be. Even the guys putting them together really didn't understand what it was. And then all of a sudden, boom, magic machine. Now, maybe that says Gus has got some ability, other ability, or those guys that put stuff together are the real magicians. Yeah, but you they- would think <laughs> Gus would have been there at the thing being built. They yeah. left oak cans everywhere and made a mess. They didn't clean up after that. That was great. That was a great little touch. I, I, I wonder if that was just like they noticed that as they're going up there. Yeah, I wondered that too. That Maybe that stuff they, there. they leave the stuff there, and uh, Robert Vaughn picked up on that when uh, when they were going up. It's it's like the uh, Starbucks in the Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, but yeah, but you know what? At least uh, in uh, in this case, you know, you just have the characters comment on it, and they keep walking up the. Uh, yeah. Keep walking up the stairs. Okay. One thing, uh, if uh, Brian's done with the unemployment office. Yeah. Okay. So, not a, I mean, Margot Kidder only has, uh, two scenes here. Yeah. And if you believe. Do we, do we, do we miss her? No. A little bit. I, you know, no. I, I like the Lana Lang thing. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there's two schools of thoughts. Uh, they, the, the Salkheims were either pissed off at her for coming out publicly against them firing, uh, Donner. So they punished her by giving her those just those two little scenes, or they were general. They genuinely wanted to give Superman another love interest, and maybe that the uh, the Lois Lane thing needed a little break. You know, I could see both. I could see both things happening. But right. and Kidder says one thing, the producers say that's not the case. So there's no way to like so, like everything else. There's no way to way to really know. Now was right. Marco Kidder older than uh, 
than Christopher Reeves. I, I think she had a couple years on him because I you can start to see you know she's aging a little bit uh, in 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 the film and I and I, I like, seems like more so than everybody else. Yeah, uh, well, she had a hard she was hard in life too, but but I didn't I missed you know it's always nice to have to have Lois Lane there, but I really didn't I really liked Annette. I mean, she I really, had four years on him. Four years, and especially since four most years, of the yeah. movie was away from the Daily Planet. Four hard years. <laughs> so those are the years where she started partying. I mean, she's doing Superman and Amityville, and and it, rumor has it she even had a little fling with Richard Pryor too during the filming of this. <laughs> Who did? So so yeah, uh, no, I didn't miss her. I I really liked seeing. You know, the story took us away from Lois, so I didn't really. Uh, they okay. sent the character on vacation at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, she came back at the end. Mark McClure, out of everybody, had the most to do in this movie. He really had. Yeah. This movie probably gives Mark McClure the most to do. He actually gets to be Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, but, you know, it's, 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 but she went to Bermuda, yeah. which is not in the Caribbean. It's a very broad stroke, just like the, <laughs> yeah. they, go, they went on vacation to South America. Okay, well, <laughs> the continent? Or what, where are you going to where are you going to go? So yeah, it was it was a very broad a broad vacation. Well, Lois didn't think she was going to the Caribbean. Perry says that later. Maybe yeah. maybe uh, she wound up in, some, in a couple of other places while she was there during her three weeks. Well, you never know. She was a re- reporter. She probably followed a story. But I I do love the uh, whole skimming of the half a penny angle of this. I thought that was kind of kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and and it was brought up. I I thought I heard it before, but they did bring it up in Office Space. They tried yeah. to do the same thing, but they they fucked it up pretty bad. Yeah, and one of the funnier one of the funnier uh, movies that I, I just love Office Space. But it, it's actually that's called slicing the, the salami. You know, you yep. cut, if you're skimming. And I used right. I worked. I knew a guy in high school that worked at a gas station. And whenever someone would pull in and say, "Give me ten bucks, you know, worth of gas," he would give them nine dollars and. 50 cents and he would write it down and then at the end of the day he would figure out how much gas was left over and he would pull his car in there and fill up exactly how much gas he had skimmed off of all these guys all these <laughs> and he never had to pay for gas went on for like two years he never paid for gas because he would short everybody 10 cents here or like more like a buck here or, or 50 cents here and at the end of the day he'd fill up with 10 12 dollars worth of gas genius yeah it is superman 3 there you go. I'll bet sure he didn't show up. I'll bet he didn't show up and flaunt it with a big red sports car, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually kind of a funny scene. I did kind of get the out of that one. <laughs> you have to be a okay. Kid. Did y'all catch the whole "I Love Lucy" tie-in? No. Little Ricky had a birthday party. Oh yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Show. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was. I I noticed another. A uh, callback uh, from the old uh, the old Superman TV show. I remember as a kid watching George Reeves crush a piece of coal into a diamond, mm-hmm. and then Superman did it in this movie, and I think Clark Kent did it in Smallville too. Oh well, yeah, and, uh, and George Reeves did it. I think episode with Jungle Devil, I believe. Yeah, I always and, remember and that when Dean I was Kane. Dean Kane did it too at one point. I'm pretty sure. So so there you go. That's a one of those little things they just can't resist throwing in there. So that would mean that it's been almost in every in every Superman show. I don't know if uh, Superboy had it, but, but yeah, I remember as a kid watching that with my dad because that was my dad's show. Man, he would he'd love to watch that when he was when he was a kid. And uh, when Superman crushed that diamond, that cold right. diamond, 
Yeah, it was cool to see that again. That that ADR line where when Ricky asked if, if Clark could get him Superman's autograph. Yeah. Goes, if I had a nickel for every time yeah. somebody asked me to do that before, that was great. Yeah, that was. Now, there's a lot of ADR in this movie. A lot of people talking yeah. about their mouths moving. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about the, the, the fire scene because that, that actually had a lot of good special effects in it. But there was one that was really kind of wonky to me, and that was when Clark changed. And if oh, y'all remember, he gets into the back of that. Is it a police car? Yeah. And the thing is, he gets into the back of the car, and the car doesn't rock at all, like a car would rock when someone gets into it at all. And then he pulls out on the other side, and of course, you know, they had to do it like a split screen with the car. So that's why it was like that, because it was on a special rigging, so it wouldn't bounce. And he gets out, and he's Superman looks like he's got a green screen behind him. The entire time he gets out of the car. I don't know if any of you caught that this time. I, I was watching on a, uh, I got a, like a 27 inch curved monitor here at my computer and I was watching on the DCU app. And, uh, so I was like, I was like, that, was, that looked really, really weird. Yeah. 1983. Yeah. You know, true, true. But right. they pulled off, they pulled off some, like I said, the, the flying stunts and everything they did around then was all pretty cool. But if, if, if there was any movie aside from the first one that underscored what influenced and I'm going to, uh, Hawk my own show, John Burns. Oh yeah, uh, I definitely wanted to talk to Brian about that. Yeah, John Burns' vision of Superman is that when Superman lifts up the, uh, the ice, of course, on the uh, on the lake, and also when he lifts up that giant pipe at the plant, you know, of course, he's grabbing things by a very small end of it, and yet he's able to support the entire weight of it without it crumbling, breaking, or whatever. Especially when you're picking up the ice of the lake, John he picks Burns up would have the taken one end. At least, uh, Three panels to explain that. In his head, yeah. He'd be sitting there thinking, yeah, well, it's great that my aura is encompassing this whole thing right. and making it incredibly light for me. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think it was things like that that gave him the inspiration for that, uh, you know, that, that aura that he used uh, for lifting things like that. And another thing, as a post-crisis Superman fan, what, what I love about this movie, that it made Clark a character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clark was, you know, he, in the other movies, he was basically just and who disguised as Clark Kent. But this time, Clark had a story. It wasn't Superman's love interest. Lana wasn't. She was Clark's, which was a huge departure from. Uh, yeah, that, that's from true. The first two. Did, did you guys by this movie, did you get tired of the just a little bit of the bumbling type of Clark Kent? Or is that still part of the mythos that that? you don't have a problem with or did it wear a little thin there was here's the thing about about the about bumbling clark i think bumbling clark can only work in a movie because you have limited exposure to him mm-hmm. could you imagine yeah. if you had bumbling clark on a tv show that would get real old real fast yeah maybe it's because i've watched the three superman movies you know relatively recently that bumbling clark is is kind of you know it's kind of here's lana's into him and and you know and like you said, the mayonnaise and and this and that. I'm like, this this is the most real Clark is. Clark is, is in any of the movies. Well, the 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 thing that I find funny was that when he was fighting himself, and the Clark side was still that bumbling thing. You know, the way he would sit there and move his arms and everything, very jerky and and like someone that was uncoordinated. It took. And what I don't understand is why. During the fight, did Clark not use any superpowers? Pushed open the uh, trash compactor. But he yeah. did very, but very little. He used very little of anything else. Because as Clark, he doesn't want to expose himself. It is, I mean, you have no idea who's watching you there. 
Now, him getting himself out of the trouble like that, if, as long as he doesn't fly, use heat vision, stuff like that, he, he probably thinks he's safe. Of course, you know, throwing okay, those he, tires he in he perfect precision. the tires like that? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's you know, not the best example, but I think it, it's, you or know, it's just all part of by it. The, by, the, by the magnet when it drops on him? True, true. Oh, that was pure Looney Tunes. I loved how they did that. Yeah. Drove him right into the ground. Yeah. But I, I think Christopher Reeve is a real, was a really method actor. Yes. The only way he knew how to play Clark Kent and Superman was to make those distinctions. Uh, and I thought the the bowling alley bumbling stuff was awesome. Yeah. With the See, chalk that I think, he, that I think he, thing he, if you have to get into the character's head there, I think he did that on purpose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he could fake his sneeze and uh, blow the bowling ball. Oh, yeah. yeah. Think about it. Why would Clark sneeze on uh, from the rosin powder? He wouldn't. Yeah. That, no, that was that was all intentional. So he right. could sneeze. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick, you're right when you said method actor because when when he was evil, evil Superman, he was evil Superman right down to the looks that he would give and his voice and just it was you know it wasn't it was a totally you know if you're reading a comic book okay you can tell he's evil Superman because he's evil Superman but when you looked at him even his features on his face he was just you know at the at the bar this was this was a guy I think that he might I think he probably enjoyed cutting loose like that a little bit, you know? Uh, but those were the strongest, you know. And you know what else? At this point, Christopher Reeve has had two of these films under his belt already. Mm-hmm. I think in this movie, he, this is probably as comfortable in the role as he's ever been. You know, he knows it. He's done it twice. He knows it. So now he can kind of let loose. A yeah, to think that he almost didn't come back for it. Yeah. I mean, well, he almost didn't come back twice. I mean, they had Tony Danza cast. To be <laughs> yeah, and apparently what I read is that Superman. <laughs> when Tony Danza was cast, yeah, they were gonna they were gonna use Richard Lester. I don't know what Richard Lester did, but he practically begged Christopher Reeve to come back. <laughs> oh yeah, he 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 must have. I mean, and you know, this wasn't. I don't think this was a franchise killer. Okay. It made it made money, you know, not as much as as one and two, but it made yeah, it but money the back. The only reason why it wasn't considered a big hit was because the budget was bigger, right? Because it had a, a near forty million dollar budget. It made what uh, what almost seventy million, almost, almost about that's between sixty and seventy. Uh, by the yeah. time I don't I don't know I don't that, overseas, that's only domestic. I don't know what it made overseas. Everything said and done, Didn't. it made a hundred million dollars. Okay. Oh, okay. Everything said and done, that's with uh, with sales of of the. Uh, video cassette tapes and overseas. That's what it made with an original budget of $39 million. Uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as big a hit. You know, they, they, who knows what would have happened if they would have, I mean, you could have taken some of that other script and used it. It would have been cool to see Supergirl in that movie. I mean, I mean, Superman four and Supergirl were, they, they were abysmal. I mean, they didn't make huh. any money. And so, so if you would have put some of those other aspects into this, I mean, it was basically that big computer was it was that's probably right straight from the original script. The brain. I think the big computer is really the only thing that remains. Yeah. So, you know, and Superman did get laid again in this movie, which, which mm-hmm. is great. You know, good for him. Was that and, Pamela Stevenson? Yes. He's uh, the uh, an Australian, Australian. I would like to see. What she looks like today, but she was she's a knockout. And you know, I like the little aspect that she was playing dumb. That she was well, yeah. That, that, and they yeah, here's the, the problem with that: they never pay that off, though. Yeah, she, you can tell that uh, obviously she's 
She's reading Cant. Yes. And she sounds intelligent when she's reading it. And when they come in, she throws the book under the uh, under the pillow and, and grabs the National Enquirer or something like that and goes back to dumb blonde mode. They're setting up that. And she, she's the one who, who says kryptonite for the first time, gives them the idea. So she's smarter than she appears to be. She's playing Marilyn Monroe. Right. But why is she playing dumb? That's never paid off. Yeah, she actually modeled the character after uh, after Marilyn Monroe, which I, I find funny. Um, but she, she was playing dumb because that's what um, Robert, Webster wanted. I mean, you know, he did. He he wasn't the type of guy that would want a chick that would be smarter than him for God's sake. Right. So. right. But but what I'm but what I'm saying is to put to put something like that in the movie though. Yeah, Why? It's, Everything it's, has to have a reason to be there, and that just doesn't. It doesn't go. I mean, if if the only, if it's all there just to set up push this red button then that's that that's a weak payoff yeah it could have definitely went somewhere with more with that you know it's funny because right after that they tell webster to do something and he starts typing and he's typing on the wrist rest if if you look at that he's not actually hitting keys oh shit (laughs) i didn't notice that but you know he was probably trying to probably have one of those dial-up modems and now, you know, all I would need so to hear was we haven't talked a lot about Ross Webster. You know, I, I I look at him and and look what happens later. To me, in my head, he's almost like a prototype businessman, Lex. Just not done very well. That, they were they were going to go with Lex again if they could, but they couldn't. They Gene Hackman obviously wouldn't do it, and so you know they 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 got him, and that yeah. I mean, that's what they got. They they, they also wanted what Is Jennifer Jason Lee like, to play like, Lana Lang. What? I was struggling that Webster was Ross. What's his name? Robert Vaughn was playing a very bad Bond villain. Yeah, you could see that. But you know what? I always my favorite Luther Luther was always the John Byrne businessman evil Luther. I mean, to me that that was just my favorite. You know, and I would have loved to have seen uh, Hackman come back and kind of. But by that point, he was already a jailbird. You know, I guess they couldn't write him in as a businessman as a legit. They they maybe could have. But I always did like that aspect. Of, of Lex Luthor to be the the capitalist, capital of industry, evil business. Yeah. I like that. I mean, Kevin Spacey would have been perfect for that. Yeah. Right. Yep. But what Webster seems to be here is what Luthor becomes, which I always found interesting. You said they wanted Jennifer Jason Lee to be Lana Lang? Yeah. yeah she turned around the role because she was too young. Yeah, yeah. she was only 21. Yeah. Because that was like right after Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think I think they did they did well enough with Annette O'Toole. Oh, no, they did. Perfect yeah. with Annette yeah. O'Toole. Yeah. I thought, you know, I think I wrote my notes that I thought Annette O'Toole is uh, adorable in the role, which is very weird when I have to, when I think about it in reality. Annette O'Toole is three years older than my mother, <laughs> but she's forever, uh, I guess, uh, thirty-one or whatever she is in that movie. <laughs> yeah, she 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 was easily one of my favorite um, characters in the movie. I, I thought she was great. And I'd forgotten just how big a part she played in that because I, it has probably been, God, would I say? I can't remember the last time I've seen it. Maybe I want to say twenty-five years, maybe, maybe more than that since I've seen this movie. Because, like we were mentioning, I've set myself up to believe that this was just a horrible, horrible movie. The thing is, also, if you want to put in a Christopher Reeve Superman movie, this is not the one you go to. No, it isn't. Right. And but we had been mentioning that that it's. The, the two characters really didn't interact. We had mentioned it before. You know, it's, it's almost, two different movies. It's two, that's what I would say. It's two separate movies. You know, a little bit of interesting editing or something. You could probably figure out a way. And I'm sure somebody has figured out a way to make it. I mean, the Superman parts are really good. I mean, 
I love the original name was going to be Superman versus Superman. Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah and then Kramer versus Kramer people. Yeah. Apparently, apparently yeah. I thought people would be confused of something. I don't know what their reasoning was. I was going to say Dustin Hoffman would have been a perfect brainiac at that time. Back to uh, Annette O'Toole real quick. I love like the, the best contrast between what kind of a person she is and what kind of a person Lois is. Is when she gets the phone call about the truck and opens the door for Superman to fly away. Right. Yeah. But he wants to stay, and Lois would have loved it if if he had stayed. Right. Lois would have been totally flattered and would have sat and flirted with him on the sofa. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and I that that creepy Superman when he didn't want to go and and decided yeah. to get on line. It, it gave me kind of chills, you know. I was like, oh man. And you can see it on her face too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, she she's not she doesn't have feelings for Superman, but no. she has feelings for Clark, which is you were mentioning, Mike. It's a total other side of the coin from right. from the first reversal. See that? Yeah, but Superman was supposed to what, go, go to lunch with her in Metropolis, and I didn't understand why that would be. Yeah, unless I didn't, he's he, trying to apologize to her, you know, for the way he behaved. Right. And here he sent you this diamond ring. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Here, but but I'll, but I'll but I'll let him give it to you. It really, I remember when I was dating my my wife before she was my wife. I I was going to get her. We've been dating for about four years. I was going to pick her up a piece of jewelry in a little case like that. And and one of the ladies I work with said, "Don't you dare do that! Don't you ever hand a woman anything that looks like a diamond in a case? It's so absolutely the wrong thing to do." So it's like Superman Clark's just an idiot. He's an ass. You don't do that. To, I mean, come on, bad choice. Hmm. But yeah, it, 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 I, that the parts that were well written were well written, and as far as the whole Lana and Clark thing, it was those those parts were great. It's just it's just the damn the damn Gus that that kind of that kind of just irks me. It, it was close to being a pretty good little movie, but you know, on a scale of one to ten, I'd probably have to give it like a six or maybe a seven, a low seven, I think. Do you think the they, oh, go ahead, Patrick? Do you think the Spider Verse guys, when they have that dialogue sequence between Peter and uh, Miles, where he's talking about um, how you know th- there's this big emergency and it's gonna ha- you know it's gonna happen, it's really immediate. And, uh, Peter's like, you know, the thing about things that are immediate is there's always like 30 extra seconds oh, to save yeah. the day, and that's <laughs> very similar to what Clark says to or what Superman says to Lana when she asks why he's staying there. Yeah, right. he's like, I always show up. I always, I always get yeah. there on time. Yeah, <laughs> I always get there on time. You know, what are they going to do? Sanction me? Right. And I love the uh, the progre- the progression of uh, of of the change. You could tell, you know, he's feeling something, but he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, and what that, that's a red kryptonite or a black kryptonite later on? Oh, I would have loved to have seen that kryptonite come out red instead of green. Yeah, it would have been amazing. And they could have done that because that was already. The red kryptonite can do anything to him. Yeah, the audience wouldn't understand. I mean, that's why they they, they did that. They kept it green because the audience knows, okay, this is kryptonite supposed to be bad for him. Yeah, it was Grant Morrison. But the the audience already knew they were making kryptonite. They knew what kryptonite could do to him. It's all spelled out in the... uh, at, at the ski lodge on the Websco roof. Yeah, and Superman. The, the less said about, and the less said about Gus Gorman's great fall, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, so Kryptonite was was properly uh, exposed. Yeah. And the pillar of salt falls, what I called it, because <laughs> <laughs> all that snow was salt. Absolutely. Oof. Yeah. 
tons and tons of socket gun. And you would think at the birthday party, Superman would have noticed something was was wrong with this thing, but I guess he's felt kryptonite before he wasn't feeling it. Yeah, you know, he's picking, I mean, yeah, you, you would have thought that he would have definitely known that, who the hell's giving me this piece of kryptonite? Right. Well, that's the other, the other thing. Gus seems like a nice guy. Gus seems like a, 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 a nice guy beyond, you know, the things that, that he was pushed into. But that was the one scene where he actually tried to kill Superman. Yeah. I mean, that's just, ugh. The thing about Gus is, the way I read Gus is, he's not necessarily evil per se, but he's greedy. He's an, and obviously he kind of gets... An opportunist. Right. He's an opportunist. He gets, he, he gets sucked in, into this and he can only really uh, go deeper. He's, he's stuck because they can turn Ross can turn him in for the embezzlement at any time. Yeah, well, you know, Richard Pryor is one of the actors that he's going to play Richard Pryor. You know, yeah. he's not going to play anything else. You know what you're going to get. Like, it's like kind of like you know Jim Carrey. A lot of times, if you if you cast Jim Carrey, with the exception of a few movies, but Jim Carrey is going to be Jim Carrey, and Richard Pryor is going to be Richard Pryor. And this all kind of say they they wanted to go with a sure with a sure deal. They wanted to to make sure that they made money on this film. And they didn't want to take any chances. And you know, the critics they didn't they didn't like it very much, you know. And uh but it made its money back and what are you gonna do? I mean, hey, you either you either take a chance and maybe lose money or you go with a sure thing. He was coming I think he had just made the the toy with Jackie yeah. Gleason. You know Ironically made, directed by Richard Donner. Yeah. Made good money, you know, it was a hit. So why not you know, these guys they're in the business of making money, man, and yeah. and they they thought it was a sure deal to put Pryor in there. But I even as even as a kid, I, I would see the poster and I saw Superman flying with Richard Pryor in his arms. And I'm going, something something's weird. Something's not right. Something is not. Something is amiss. But I didn't hate it. I mean, the only Richard Pryor scene I can really say that I liked is the scene where he finally uh, stands up to uh, to Ross, where he says, "No, you can't run the jail number on me anymore." And then he gets his, he finally gets something out of the deal. Yeah. But other than that, it was just Richard Pryor being Richard Pryor. Like you said, it was two separate movies. Yeah. I, and I doubt that they had very much screen time. Or they probably could have filmed their, their, their scenes together in just a couple of days, for God's sakes, you know? They just, I don't think they, I didn't see the chemistry that, that, that Reeves said he had on some of the interviews, you know? Right. I just didn't see it. I mean, I think just a paycheck prior, and and I would like to know how much money they dumped in in uh, Christopher Reeves' front lawn to make him come back, or maybe he was just stonewalling to try and get more money. Now, for Superman Four, he had almost complete control, didn't he? Right. So he had a reason to come back for that one, but uh, that's another movie for another day. Right. Yeah. So obviously, the highlights of the, of of this particular film are. Well, basically any scene that Christopher Reeve was in. I did like him stopping that, I don't know if it was a harvester or whatever it was. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like a very good picnic spot to me in that, in those tall, in that tall, uh, grass. Yeah. During no. the storm. And the, <laughs> eating the dog food. Uh, yeah, that, that was like the, the one Christopher Reeve thing in this movie that, uh. That's probably when the bumbling Christopher Reeve kind of was getting in my arms right like, there. 
Come on, for Christ's sake, the guy is Superman. He can't tell that's dog food. <sighs> then he takes another bite. Yeah, <laughs> and he keeps eating it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I, I like Lana, but I'm not going to eat dog food for her. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'll do, but I'm not going to eat Did you notice food. that Lana's sweater has a superpower? Because it <laughs> soaked up his her son's blood and it went perfectly white again. <laughs> I'd miss that. The beauty of movie laundry. Yeah, and I and I did like the uh, a couple of cute scenes where you know where uh, Superman holds up his small uh, Clark holds up his Smallville sweatshirt and it's got the yeah. S on it mm-hmm. and it kind of looks at him like that real quick and then later on he had the uh, it tied around his neck yeah at the picnic month. yeah. Yeah. Now, you yeah. remember the couple that won the trip to wherever, South America, to Colombia? To Colombia? Yeah, Maury yeah. and his wife. Yeah, his wife is the same woman that runs the cafe up north where uh, Clark got beat up. Really? Huh. Superman 2. Oh, is she? Same woman. Well, the uh, they had a couple of cameos. The, the kid at the photo booth? Oh, yeah. yeah. The kid at the photo booth, that was... Uh, baby, that was the baby. Baby naked Superman. That was, yeah. that was the same kid. <laughs> which always... Creeps me out. You couldn't get a shot like that in a movie today if you tried to do it. But, yeah, that was the same kid. Baby, baby naked Superman. He wasn't naked this time. Uh, Seven years old or so, thank God. So, so and, and he got a part in Man of Steel, too, didn't he? Yes, he did. He was sometimes... Yeah, he was. He was one of the soldiers. In Man of Steel. And uh, there were definitely some fun moments in it. So I really liked the... Um, where, where Clark was changing into Superman behind a little picket fence. Yeah, I like that. That was yeah. a little scene to uh, uh, to change like that. And I also the the, uh, the shirt rip after the uh, after the junkyard fight. Yeah, yep, it was great. And you, what you guys said is true. The Superman stuff was was good. I mean, I think that the Superman at the bar is is iconic. Yeah. You know, yeah. How many how many have you seen with, with Superman sitting there at the bar slamming Johnny Walker? <laughs> well I'm a regular New Yorker reader, the mirror. so quite frequently. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> are, are, are many of you uh, alcohol uh, specialized? <laughs> I'm much alcohol specialized. Well, just the, the Singapore sling that Brad was talking about. You know, he said he was this he was drinking one, but aren't those like pink or red? I I I go profess I, I'm a follower of the rule that I do not drink liquor that has more than alcohol that has more than two ingredients like vodka soda bourbon and coke anything that has three or more you start getting the territory that I won't drink because I don't <laughs> I don't have anything to do with that stuff but I did notice the little packs of liquor mix in Gus's suitcase that were very prevalent during the 70s and 80s. Yeah. That you could tear these packs open and just add vodka. You would get a Singapore sling or a sidecar. Or a grasshopper. So that took me back because my parents had a bar and they had all of these little packs that you could open up and you, there's your drink. And that's a hell of a drink kit that he had. I would love to have that baby. You never do pass out, do you? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I'm a happy drunk. If I do, if I do, I don't drink much anymore now that I have a kid and I, you know, right. Married, but back in my salad eating days, yeah, I've got some <laughs> stories. I never did like flick beer nuts to break windows and, that. <laughs> and then use your heat vision on on the mirror yeah. in front of you. Yeah, I tried. You know, presumably because you can't stand to look at yourself at this point. No, no, I try to I try to avoid mirrors now, and if I do, that would be a cool power to have to burn any mirror that I could see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one question about this about this, this scene when he's uh. After he's flicking the peanuts, you hear somebody say, Just leave him alone. 
Yeah. Is that Christopher Reeve? I, it, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know. I, I thought it was with one of the one of the guys at the book. That's what I thought too, but it sounds like Christopher Reeve's voice. It could have been. You know what? It very well could have been Christopher's hmm. voice. I didn't catch that at all. I, oh, yeah. think, I find it interesting that all the bar patrons were not paying any attention to him. It was only the people on the outside that were, you know, really watching what was yeah. going on until he started doing the, the peanuts. I thought he was flicking yeah. the peanuts. And then, then everybody then the bartender like, comes running over. Hey, hey, hey. Well, that you, what are you going to do? That bar scene was filmed in Canada. So they're always, they don't, they don't give a fuck out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're used to it, you know, so. That is alcohol abuse. Yeah. It, and I think there was a, there was a, like I had mentioned, there's like this anti-alcohol message in that whole movie that this is what booze is going to do to you, you know? And and how can Superman get drunk? Yeah, I didn't think Superman could get drunk. Well, I, I, think Unless, I don't think he got drunk from the yeah, alcohol. I think I, it was just he was constantly getting worse and worse, yeah, messed whatever, up in the head. Whatever, whatever happened to him, whatever that fake kryptonite did to him, it yeah. made him able to get drunk. Yeah, he was kind of drunk when he was walking out of the bar. He was, yeah, he was stumbling and bumbling a little bit. Stumbling and went. Yeah, but you're right. No one in the bar noticed it at all. They're like, yeah, Green Lantern was in here last week. And he, was, <laughs> <laughs> he was acting like an asshole, too, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, they didn't give a shit. This Canadian yeah. dogs, they, they're just, <laughs> if he, she probably bought him a couple of rounds and they're fine with it, eh? So. And then, uh, you see, I was hoping Patrick got through more of the novelization because one thing I always heard was during the Statue of Liberty scene, when uh, Lorelai is talking to him up there, Clark, I, I heard somewhere that at that point, Clark tries to come out there. Let me see if I can find it in the book here. Well, uh-huh. I'd like to see some of the deleted scenes. I haven't seen any because I know there was one scene where actually you could hear her giggling while Superman's making out with her. Well, yeah, and and the shot is on uh, Vera Webster. Yeah, uh, a couple of a couple trying to cover her ears because apparently they live in that ski lodge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vera Webster is funny because I, the only thing I think I've ever seen her in aside from this is Pump Up the Volume, where she's the evil evil high school principal. Right. And then uh, the uh, what's her name? The lady in the uh, Daily Planet scenes that's getting the bingo balls. Oh yeah, she's the voice of mother in Alien, the computer. And apparently, uh, it's Jingo <laughs> because they can't afford to say Bingo in this movie. Well, they yeah. had it on the sign. Bingo brought to you by Jingo. Why oh, they couldn't? Did this Bingo a licensed property? That they can't they can't use it? I mean, maybe no one under the age of seventy can play Bingo. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but that was uh, you're right about that. I did catch the Jingo thing, which kind of right. It's a little bit odd to me but there were just some odd things about this movie you know <laughs> I'm like a whole bunch of stuff just crammed together well yeah they wrote they wrote the film really quickly for prior i mean the, the plot is just is just weird. what was the supercomputer for anyway was it to control all the weapons in the world what was next it was for whatever ross wanted it to be for yeah it, it could die anything coffee. what was it going to be to get all the creamers in the world next or or <laughs> you know the splendas what the hell more did you want i mean i I, I tried as I was watching. I said, well, "What was this computer for again? Was it maybe to control weapons? I don't remember." And how could he turn it off just by pulling a screw out? Oh, you know what? I expected R two D two to go there and like stick his little arm in there and turn <laughs> that thing that, because that, that tell me that they didn't that that wasn't uh, it looked definitely yeah one screw. <laughs> and apparently, uh, Gus uh, suffered no indigestion from swallowing this thing. <laughs> he got the screw back, didn't he? He didn't. Well, that he got the screw back, right? I mean, he, no. Yeah, he got it out of his mouth. I thought. No, no, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think know. so. He 
bites down on Ross's thumb and then punches him out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. How the hell did they start the freaking computer? Oh, yeah. Okay, that was after it. No, the computer started itself. Oh, that's right. It was self-aware. Yeah, it became self-aware and uh, at 2.14 a.m. Eastern time. Oh, wait a minute. Wrong (laughs) (laughs) one. Okay, now, as far as that computer went, so they had more computer underground because I thought all of it was above there where they, they were. But when the acid went, the acid went down and it was enough to destroy the computer. Yeah, well, look, the computer's pretty fucking... Well, it, it must have exploded. I think it exploded, didn't it? It, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't that smart of a computer because, you know what, I spilled a little bit of coffee on my Mac once. and it's, Oh, yeah, and that was it. Well, if the computer doesn't know that acid is going to fuck with it, it, it doesn't. it's a stupid computer. I mean, yeah. It, it, well, did it, yeah. did it have something to do with the state the acid was in? Because if you remember from... And actually, I, did, I do like that the... Uh, the fire, the chemical plant fire, does come back into yeah, play later. Comes back in, into uh, that. Come comes back into play at the end. Any computer. That's, where, that's why we get all that exposition about the acid. Maybe in the green state. Well, any computer worth its salt should know that even water is going to fuck it up. So <laughs> apparently not this one. Coffee, come on! I still have this Mac over here, hoping it'll come back to life someday. But no. Yeah, I lost the laptop because <laughs> somebody spilled soda on it. Stupid computer. So, so no, that scene. Uh, that Statue of Liberty scene is not significantly different in the novelization, but it does get into um, a couple of the other things Superman did while he was flying around being a jerk. The next right, so few days were the strangest. Nothing, there's nothing about Clark trying to come out there? No, <laughs> but he does write an obscene message over where some Girl Scouts are camping in England. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then he does a tap dance in Australia. You're going like to make me. I need to find this book and read it. <laughs> you're going to make me go to eBay and buy this book. It was cheap. That's where I got it. it you know, uh, I'm not. I didn't hate the Leaning Tower of Pisa joke. Yeah. I, I I thought it was. I mean, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I mean, if you're going to be an asshole, that's a pretty funny thing to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then he pushes it back at the end. And then the, and, the poor guy's got all the straight statues. You know. La 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 la. la. <laughs> and at this point, at the he's like. Fuck it. He just starts well, well, the stamp yeah. with his uh, with his broom. Yeah. Okay. That that kind of uh, got a little chuckle out of me. And yeah, because yeah, you feel his frustration. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you know the effects where where we have the uh, the sister turning into the Rastafarian Doctor Doom uh, <laughs> at the at the end there. It's cheesy, but you know, 1983. When, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that's the scariest thing they've ever seen in a Superman. Yeah, you know what's sadly to say in in those in the four movies that came as close to uh, like a total scary villain that I think that I think you're right, Mike. That was probably the scariest villain that I that I've seen. I mean, I think I think the scary part is not so much her as the whatever the hell the robot or whatever the hell she is. It's the scene of the transformation. Yeah, yeah. when the eyes go gray. Right, and you hear her screaming at the uh, circuit board to put on her. Oh, yeah, that computer was an asshole. <laughs> it, it sure was. Gus, that's what happens when you design a computer on the back of a pack of camels. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be able to fit the whole thing. I don't care how smart you are. It's not going to work. No, not at, not at all. Well, it did work, apparently. <sighs> Too well. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, as a movie, I, I didn't hate it. I did cringe, though, when Richard Pryor called, tells the computer that it's Daddy. <laughs> Daddy! <laughs> Daddy's home. Yeah, and when, and, and, when, uh, and when Richard Pryor insists on riding the donkey down to the fucking Grand Canyon, how do the workers get there? Do they go down on magic balloons, too? Isn't there a fucking road or something? I mean... You would think, right? Jesus Christ. This is what we wasted our budget on. Yeah, yeah. On balloons. The balloons... 
Yeah, every movie had to have a balloon, I guess. And, oh, those, well, those somebody, kind of cool. I would love to fly around in one of those things. But you had to have somebody that would be riding an ass. <laughs> oh, man. When she says, uh, hey, honey, or whatever it is, Superman. So, yeah, he's like, nope, I don't, I, I don't know you. I don't know you, lady. Yeah. I think Superman seriously passed the buck on this one. Yeah. What's the matter with you, Clark? Yeah, damn well, he know, he knows damn well who she is. Yeah, he did. You don't say that. She was, and she had a really hurt look on her face for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Kind of broke my heart, you know? I will say something else, though. I wanted that video game. Yeah. Yeah. That Ross, that Ross was playing. Yeah, it just wasn't possible, man. They couldn't They couldn't do it. They were supposed to have a video game for it. I guess the Atari 2600 had a game lined up. Yeah, it had a game called Superman 3, but I guess when the movie when the movie underperformed, they said, eh, nah, we'll yeah. bury it next to all the E.T. games. Yeah, now, I'll tell you, the, the computer game I want is the one where the ATM keeps spitting out money. No, shit. like it did there. I don't want that in a game. I want that in real life. Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Did you recognize the guy there, though, that was getting the money? You guys ever think that money might have been from his fucking account? There's that. <laughs> that, that there was, is that. <laughs> that was the deputy from Superman 2. Jesus. I mean, they, they just it kept recycling actors. <laughs> you know, who was the guy Who was the, 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 the guy that, that got stepped on in the, the comedy act in the beginning, you know, and the pie in the face and it fell in the hole? And, and oh, that, that guy should have stayed in bed. That guy yeah. looked familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find them right now because I know who you're talking about. It's it because they had a couple couple surprises in there. Like they had um, Bob Todd, who we saw a lot on Benny Hill show. He was the one that was you know, one of the guys, uh, not the one slapping everybody on the head, but he was always in in the Benny Hill sketches. And then uh, that other guy. Well, he might have been a British actor or something. Yeah, well, most most of them were. A lot of this was filmed. All all of it was filmed at Pinewood, except for the Smallville. Let's see his last name. Yeah. The cop that pulled over the bus at the uh, fire, he was in. A, I saw him in a James Bond movie. I don't remember which one. He was some kind of military officer, colonel or a major or something. Oh yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> it was one of the Roger Moore movies, I think. The bus driver looked like the skipper from Gilligan's Island. Gordon Rawlings is the guy that you're talking about. Um, Any type of a history to him, or? Well, I mean, he's he's English, of course, from Yorkshire. Um, he was also in the Pink Panther Strikes Again. Just your standard character actor, then, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, he he did a lot of the new Avengers TV series. He had a little bit of a soupy sales look to him, or something. Yeah, he had a career going wow, long time. He was on uh, General Hospital. That yeah. says anything. So he did work on both sides of the ocean. Right. Oh, cool. I feel like I should I should know who the who the boat captain was. I look at that guy. I feel like I should. Yeah, know he looks a lot like John Houston, but it's not John Houston. His name is something Beatty. Yo, he's the, obviously the guy that, that rammed in the Exxon Valdez because he hadn't shaved <laughs> in six months. With <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of scallywags on that shit, you know. And the guy that looks familiar to me. Be one I, of the most, he's got to be one of the most. What was that? The guy that looked looked uh, familiar to me that I, I couldn't place him. I can't even find him in the credits. Was the the lab? You know, the guy that gave Superman the whole exposition on the acid. He looked really familiar to me, but I still can't find him in here. He wasn't. There. He looked like every nerd you've seen deliver exposition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wasn't under Acid Man or anything like that. Nope. Nope. All right. Well, Robert Beatty. He was in two thousand one. Uh, Space Odyssey, Where Eagles Dare, Labyrinth. I mean, he. Okay, well, uh, Yeah, he's been around. Yeah, okay, so, but that's got to be he's got to be the most confused boat captain out there. First, Superman rams into him and spills his oil, and then he puts it back. After, this guy's got to be. After, this guy is stuck in the middle of the ocean. He's got to be thinking, what the fuck is going on here? 
after he cleaned his suit, he came back and uh, and fixed. Well, yeah. After he, the power of laundry. <laughs> God, the stuff you do for a little bit of action, man. You go ahead and spill some oil for me, Superman. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No problem. And then he comes back and he is all stanky with the oil and whatever else and pit stains and whatnot, and yet she's still going to do them. <laughs> Oh, you think they could have put the suit in the washer while they were busy? <laughs> you would, you would think. Appalling, but yeah. And then the next day, doesn't even acknowledge her. No, he says that wasn't that wasn't me, unless you enjoyed it, and it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he he does go back there. Why does he go there? Where after after he's restored? He goes back where? He goes back to the cabin, and they're expecting him. Well, it wasn't the cabin. It was the top of the bill. It was the penthouse. Right. But yeah. why, well, why does he go there? To find them. I mean, that's where he found them before. I mean, have you looked at her? I'd be looking for her all the time. <laughs> I, did, I did find a scientist, and uh, he's got a pretty long career, but he does a lot of voice work. Um, he's, pro- he's probably just a that guy. Yeah, he is a that guy. That you see in everything and have no idea who he is. Yep, it, you're right. Like everybody else. But he's doing Clone Wars and Batman animated series. He was even Wing Commander 4, The Price of Freedom. Oh, my gosh. That's a deep pull. Star Trek, Hidden Evil. I'll shut up now. No problem. I just want to did so. I, I want to know if I, if you guys went into this with the same expectations that I did. And it, when was the last time you guys had seen it? And did, did you did you think that you were going to hate it much more than you did? Because that's what I'm coming out of this. This has taught me that, you know what? 13-year-old me loved it. And then I got, you know, pissed through my years of reading comics and hearing all this bad stuff about it. And then I was going back and watching it, and I didn't hate it as much as I did. I thought I was going to. You know, I, I, I said it. Well, I'm sorry. Um, but I was saying uh, you know, earlier that, that it was the first movie where I was ever an apologist. And what I mean was, it, it, for me, and it, it showed me something about myself, is that if I'm in a movie with somebody else, I find myself being concerned about how much they're enjoying it versus how much I'm enjoying it. Especially yeah. if it's something mm-hmm. that I really, you know, if it's a subject I really like. And it's it's part of what, you know, <laughs> made me marry my wife. When uh, we went and saw Serenity in the theaters, you know, after we'd had a long weekend of watching the Firefly TV series on DVD, I still wasn't sure if she was, you know, being real with me. You know, um, I, I'd gone through a really bad thing in my first marriage. So of, of my wife not being honest about that stuff and then later telling me how much she really hates it, you know. And so we go see Serenity in the theater, and there's a scene where, spoiler, Shepard Book dies. And I look over at Beth, and she is bawling. She is just crying. This is, you know, characters she loves. And I'm just like, oh, man, so she's being straight. She's being real with me. And I I never felt like when we went to the movies that I had to be worried about if she was going to enjoy it or not. Because she well, just, just from the experience of, of uh, doing the Walking Dead cast, Beth gets heavily invested in these characters. Yes. Where the rest of us are saying, we're glad this fucker's dead. <laughs> she's, she, she, she's the one feeling bad about it. Yeah, she was inconsolable at Enid's death and, and other characters' death uh, recently on the, the Heads on the Pike. <sighs> Ouch. But Did I just spoil something for anybody? No, no. I can't. If you can spoil Avengers Endgame now, you can spoil The Walking yeah, Dead. I read the comics. If you can spoil, if you can spoil Endgame, you can spoil anything now. Yeah, I only read The Walking Dead comics. I don't watch the shows. So. Yeah, but but do you did you watching it now? Let's just say you were seventeen when you saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're watching it now. What 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 what's your take on it now? Well, 
I mean, this is one of those things where over the years I've recognized in it that there are things that I really love and things that I really don't. You know, all the slapsticky stuff and all that always bothered me. Um, but I, I always enjoyed the, the Clark and Lana stuff. I always enjoyed the, the, the dark Superman and the whole fight with dark Superman and everything. So I, you know, all that stuff, it just kind of, usually I would just, if, if it was on, I'd let it go ahead and play in the background and I'd watch the scenes I like. And of course, when my son finally started watching these movies, he watched these movies all in a row, just one through three, one through four, just bam, 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 bam. And I'd find I'd be sitting down with them up until four. And so that's the one that, that will be the, I come in almost mostly fresh, but you know, we'll check out as soon as Lenny comes on the screen. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, so for four, I'll be pretty much in, in the same boat that you're in. But for this one, I, I don't think I was ever in that boat because as some, somehow, some way it was always there. I mean, I didn't go out and ever buy it, but. If it came on on TV, I wouldn't turn it off. That's fair. Patrick, how about you? <clears throat> I haven't thought about the movie in a long time. Um, I've been slowly introducing my uh, nephew, who's five now, to the to Superman stuff. There isn't a lot from this one I think he's ready to see, because I think that fire scene is almost too scary for a five-year-old oh, yeah. to sit through. But we oh, come on, there's a smokestack slide. Oh, yeah, but still, I mean, it's a, it's a real fire. The There's a guy thing. screaming, I'm on fire. Yeah. And that is scary. <laughs> but we've, um, but I was expecting it to be awful and had a, had a good time with it. You can't make a superhero movie like this anymore, which is too bad. I could see, uh, an incredible Hulk movie that's very similar to this where it's a lot of him and, him and Betty reconciling and then, you know, stuff is happening with General Ross all around him. And at the end, you know, he hulks up and deals with Ross and, <clears throat> Basically, you would have those two separate stories. I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. But um, it was cool to see, you know, when you could make a movie like this. I think it's a good thing you that it exists. You could make a superhero movie now with non-comic book villains. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, which is also kind of a shame. Mike, how about you, looking back at it now? Well, the thing is, you know, this movie has always been kind of part of my uh, my lexicon, so to speak, because this movie came out, I was two years old. It is alleged that I saw this film in the theater. I have no memory of that, but you know, you know, like the first two, this, this film was always around and you know, at a really young age, the Gus stuff didn't bother me because when you, when you're, when you're four or yeah. five seeing, uh, seeing him, uh, drag Brad through the hall is amusing, but the stuff that I always liked, I still like, I still like the, uh, well, I've come to enjoy the Clark stuff more now, you know, as you get old, you don't really appreciate that kind of stuff when you're really young, but I always really enjoyed the, uh, the junkyard fight. Yeah. I will say, you know, I have no problem saying that is my favorite sequence in all four Reeve movies. Yeah. If you watch the, again next time when Superman goes flying out of the junkyard, the very next scene where they show him flying, he's flying away from the Statue of Liberty. So is the junkyard in the statue near the Statue of Liberty? I, I did kind of wonder about the geography <laughs> when I watched it last. Yeah. Because he kind of does not he kind of loop around it? Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming from upstate. <laughs> the land of junk. No, I, I think it. I think it. Well, here's another question. That I've always, I've gone back and forth with this over the years. Did the junkyard fight actually happen? No, you know, or was it all in his mind? It could have been in his mind, I guess. But I guess you'd have to go back and see if the if the uh, if the machines were busted, or he could have thrown himself in there. Uh, right. It's comic. Was he? Was he? Was he hallucinating? It's comic book science. It had to. Have, yeah. You know. It's no different than Tyler Durden. <laughs> definitely comic book science. So, oh, definitely. I, I, you know, to me, it's it's like the uh, 
it's like the Star Wars prequels. Over the years, I think I've, I've softened up to them, whereas before I just, I mean, I still aspects of them that I don't like, but they're there. And, and, uh, this movie has always been there. Like you said, Mike, I grew up with this, with this, with this movie. It was always on and I always watched it. And somewhere along the line, I got the impression that it was like the worst thing ever, but it, it really wasn't. And we- like I said, it, this movie is almost bipolar in a way. When it's bad, it's really bad. But the good, the good stuff is really good. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I think you're, you're. I think. But it it also suffers from being the sequel to the first two movies, and and sadly, what we see through this series is there's a diminishing quality in all of the sequels. Yeah, two is not as great as the first one. Then we have this, and then yeah. then four. But two actually had reviews that said it was better than the first one. I mean, there were some people that, that preferred it. Yes, but, but preferring something doesn't make it better. <laughs> no, it just means you liked it more. As a as a kid, I enjoyed, I think, two more than the first one. And as I got older, I got to see the first one for the beautiful film that it is. Because well, I you think know? when you're a kid, you see the action of the second movie. I mean, and 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 that's what draws you to it. Generals, I I really didn't. I I am the same way. I didn't really appreciate the first film until much later. Yeah, and I don't know if I'll ever have the appreciation for this film that I have. No, you you two. will not. <laughs> but, but I can appreciate it for what it is. And it could have been so much better, but but you know what? It could have been a lot what, worse too. What movie? Could <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Patrick hit it right in the. That could be the tagline of this episode. It could have been a lot worse. <laughs> and and I and I hope I hope we do more soon because you'd better put me on that panel because I I only watched Superman four I think one time and I would love to watch it again and and. and uh, and see and see what it's like because I don't remember much about it. You, you see, yeah, I have an interesting relationship with four, and it doesn't make four a good movie. But four is the and I can I'll, I'm sure I'll repeat this again when we get to the fourth film. Four is the first Superman movie I remember going to see. Okay, mm-hmm. so my memory of going to see the movie is better than the movie itself. Does yeah, that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does make sense. You know, my memory of go of of the experience of going to the theater and. Uh, and seeing it. And that's what sucks about getting old. You know, you start to, when you're a kid, man, it's fucking Superman, you know? Right. You, mm-hmm. You're going to like it. You're going to like it. But as you get older, you, you're you going to be, you know, oh, God. Oh. Especially, you know, people that love comics and geek culture like we do, you know, it's it's going to hit us different than it hits yeah, it's normal, you know, normal people, I would say. <laughs> but, right. you know, it, it, it is. It, it's gonna, it's gonna come to more of a head for people like us than it is going to be for, for someone that's not a big, not a big comic book fan. I mean, I took right. a kid to go see that a couple of years ago, that Angry Birds movie, and, God, I had to sit through that thing, but he loved it. Maybe when he's older and, and he realizes what I had to sit through, he'll realize, thanks, Dad. But There was about a month where that when Angry Birds movie was on continuous replay in my house. Yeah, well, wait till they, they're making a second one coming out soon, so. <laughs> SpongeBob. <laughs> I think they make another one of those, too, aren't they? They they probably will. I mean, I, I, the, I didn't hate the SpongeBob movie. <laughs> yes. Well, no, no but I mean, just, you, once, you, you never didn't want to see it again. SpongeBob in general, the voices that they use on that are basically fingers on the chalkboard for me. Yeah. Well, you and know, a lot of kids shows have that. And my son was just watching those for years and years and years, which, yeah. uh, which is weird because I love Stephen Banks, his, his other work. 
but the he did the writing on SpongeBob and just oh gosh, it, yeah, it was physically painful. Yeah, my kid went through the SpongeBob phase. He's he's out of that now. Now it's yeah. pretty much the Fortnite phase that I'm trying to, <laughs> to reel that in. But you know, it's a uh, it, yeah, it's growing old sucks, man. But when I was a kid, I I really liked it, and I still don't hate it. So no. it's not my favorite. You could have been. But one thing I do like do like about it is you know they stay loyal to the continuity of the series. Yes. By bringing back, you know, that one no character, Brad. Who would have thought he'd come back? Yeah. And I did a little math here. I'm going to that tells me this movie took place in 1980. Hmm. Because. Well, actually, there's a couple weird things. Look, the the class reunion. Okay. Was for the class of 65. Right. But it was 83. And even if it was 80, it still wouldn't have been a 20-year reunion. Well, it could have been a 15-year reunion. But it said 20-year reunion. That's what all the posters said. Oh, okay, okay, never mind. There goes, there goes my math. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is like in the original Superman, the movie. If it's the, 20 years, it's got to be it's got to be 85 then. Yeah. But the, the 20-year, the, the thing is in Superman, but the, the movie. Olympics in 85. When Clark was, yeah, right. When Clark was, and there wasn't in 83 either. <laughs> so it had to have been I don't 80. know what Olympic, I don't know what Olympics were in 80. Yeah. That well, was a summer or a winter. Year. That was. It might have been some different game, the World Games or something. I don't think yeah. were that. Beside the good stock footage that they use, <laughs> which is some of the. Yeah. Speaking of people who are who are confused, yeah, that guy lighted the torch. I had no idea what the hell was. <laughs> that was actually kind of funny. I always when I was a kid, you just kind of walking down the steps like, oh man, I'm almost gone. Next time I better bring some matches. <laughs> How much must it have cost them to get the uh, Beatles version of Rollover Beethoven in that movie, too? I was wondering about that. Because <laughs> Chuck, the Chuck Berry version probably wouldn't cost a whole lot, but to have the Beatles one. Yeah, they played that at the reunion. Yep. And that was uh, some elaborate reunion. I, I, I just went to my 20-year reunion back in uh, October. It was like 20 of us in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the prom like this appears. Well, it's small, though. Yeah. Everyone still lives there. Yeah, except Clark. Except Clark. Yeah, I mean, well, I and and it's funny because they got that big picture of Clark up on the wall, and you go, man, that sure does look a lot like Superman. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> you just have to kind of imagine that it's Jeff East. I mean, the Salt didn't want to pay him. <laughs> how did he get his picture? Hey, on, how did he get his picture on the wall? Wasn't he just the towel boy? That's probably like his senior portrait. That would have been like me getting my picture on the wall in high school, and I didn't do shit. Yeah, but but Clark Kent is now in Metropolis. He's a reporter at the Daily Planet. He's highly respected. You know, the boy that abandoned his mother after his father died <laughs> made Ben Hubbard take over on the farm so he could go off and become a typist. Yeah. And how many years did he spend? But he's the fastest typist that Perry's ever seen. Did you guys catch the throwaway line about his mother dying? This is the first time, excuse me, you've come back to this little bird since your mom passed away. Yeah, it's, yeah I did. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. did. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I've never caught that before. Oh, I caught that years ago. Yeah. That takes it out of continuity with Superman Returns. Oh. Well, Superman Returns. Is now you've ruined the movie for me. <sighs> well, I thought Superman Returns said that, that three and four didn't take place. The way I see it, Superman Returns is in, is in a different universe where the events of one and two took place in, you know, just slightly differently. We'll get to that eventually, won't we? <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I still can't believe I've gotten this far. Oh, this has been fun. I love talking. About yeah, this is a blast. Yeah, starting in, starting from 1941. Hey, this is 42 years, man. 42 years. Thank God I've only been doing this for three. <laughs> Thank God it take, hasn't taken me 42 years to do this. Hey, onward, onward to number four. That's all I have to say. 
Why did why did they have to go to using a wig on Christopher Reeve in this one? Because they used his regular hair for one. Was he bald? Yeah. yeah. Well, he had. What's the disease where you lose patches of hair? Um, oh, I, I can't think of the disease, but but you know. He, yeah, because he he wears a wig in Superman Four as well. He he dyed his hair black for the for the part, and he started to develop this um, this disease where your hair will fall out in patches. It'll grow back. You know, but it falls out in patches and he was losing, he had, a, you know, losing a lot of his hair in the, in the front of his head. So he did have to wear a wig and it is prevalent, especially I bet on that computer screen that you watched it on, Brian, I bet you could probably tell that some scenes were, were, um, he had a wig on more than, yeah. but on my little iPad. Yeah. What I, what I don't understand is if, if he was wearing a wig, why couldn't they find him a black <laughs> Well, Dirty Superman had more of a brown kind of, uh, hair going on, you know? Even when you when you look at Clark in the picnic scene, his hair looks brown. Yeah, it was brown, and that, that was the thing because he had dyed his hair black for the first two. But they wore. If he's wearing a wig, why can't they find them a black? Good question. It, it almost gave him like a gray quality to him, especially in the dark Superman scenes. Yeah, in the dark Superman scenes are definitely. In the dark Superman scenes, it worked. Yeah, you know, you know, you had some scruff and uh... greasy. Yeah. Do you guys notice the Blade Runner poster in the junkyard scene? I didn't. Well, when Clark's throwing the tires at Superman, there's a Blade Runner poster there. I didn't. I noticed a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, a lot of Kentucky you, Fried Chicken stuff. You couldn't miss the Kentucky Fried and Chicken. And I think Gus's suit was was probably worn by the Colonel. Yep. <laughs> hey, I, yeah. I thought the same thing. <laughs> uh, they say, okay, it says here, filmed in Calgary, Alberta, home of Canada's first Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. It includes multiple KFC references, the Metropolis Computer School payroll. Wait, wait a minute. The first Kentucky Fried Chicken was in Canada? That's where they had their first franchise. Canada's oh. first franchise. But it says here it's like the uh, the paychecks at the, at the computer school were handed about by a man in a Sanders-style goatee. Yeah. <laughs> Gus walks yeah. past a Smallville display with KFC outfits. Yeah. Gus drags the intoxicated Brad past the closet where you saw that bag. And then Gus, Gus uses the chicken in the bucket recipe to explain the reason why why the fake kryptonite didn't work. Unknown. How am I supposed to know what unknown means? It means unknown. That means nobody knows what it means. Hello, boss. Gus. Uh, Gus Gorman here. I know that. How does y- it go? Yes. But you know how they're always trying to find the secret recipe in that chicken in the bucket, and nobody seems to know the ingredient because it's unknown, right? Well, in the kryptonite, there was an unknown element, and it's unknown, and Superman didn't die. He didn't die. I asked you to kill Superman, and you're telling me you couldn't even do that one simple thing. Ah. Hello? Hello? I bet this recipe is that it's not chicken. The secret recipe is tar in the chicken. And they use 17 tons of salt as snow. Holy cow. Off off a uh, little tangent, I've actually been to the first Kentucky Fried Chicken in the United States. It's in Utah. And uh, they still have the only all-you-can-eat Kentucky Fried Chicken buffet. Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. i got to go to Utah now. I have a picture of myself smiling in front of the restaurant with like a little plaque that says, this is the first Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken in the United States franchise. And it's like, hey. Want to die from cholesterol poisoning? <laughs> Fuck kryptonite. That'll kill you quicker at the yeah. fried chicken buffet. But it was as good as you think. I bet. 
I, you know, the thing is in the seventies, I enjoyed KF, well, Kentucky Fried Chicken's barbecue chicken, which whatever they're serving now with barbecue has never, never quite been the same or as good. So did any of you ever see the Frank Oz deleted scenes? I, oh, well, yeah, he's the surgeon. The brain surgeon. Because I don't recall ever seeing those. Well, huh. It's on the TV version. Huh. Yeah. There's also another interesting, uh, cut. In in the thea- in the theatrical cut, I, after I saw the TV cut, I started noticing that during the uh, scene where with, with Simpson after they discover the uh, that the money is missing, mm-hmm. and Lorelai barges in after uh, she and Vera had their little lover spat. Ro- the, the deleted scene where Ross tells them to kiss and make oh, up. Oh damn! <laughs> Mr. Webster, it's time for your massage. Baba, does this woman have the right to burst in without? No, 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 no. Vera, Vera Simpson, you know my psychic nutritionist. Hello. If you don't mind, we are trying to hold a meeting here. Well, why don't you hold your breath instead? Maybe you'll turn blue. <laughs> Improvement. <laughs> Pay attention, people. I am about to take a human life. Uh, Simpson, would you excuse us for a second, please? Baba, I will not let this woman have the right with... Mouths closed. Ears open. She's a big pig. I can't have anyone with me who isn't with me. Now, girls. Kiss and make. I don't kiss. Uh, shake hands. There's my best guys. <sighs> Simpson? <sighs> and Vera basically says she doesn't kiss. And so he tells them to shake hands, and she digs her hand, and then Lorelai digs her hand into Vera. If After he says Simpson, and then you see them, you can see their hands moving away from each other. Now that I've seen that deleted scene, I can never unsee the hand, the hand moving away. Yeah. Oh, that's that's right. You know, I, I was sitting there reading the trivia, and the the reason why they use Rollover Beethoven is because Richard Lester also directed A Hard Day's Night and Help. Oh. I mean, I knew that, but I forgot about it. Lots of little Easter eggs in there, aren't there? Who knew yeah. there were Easter eggs in this movie? In a day before Easter eggs were even noticed, or for the most, you know, people weren't. Yeah, there's a lot. Okay, that makes sense. He did do a hard safe night. Yeah. Now, my my question though was, so this this Vulcan weather satellite, which apparently can do so much more than just sense weather, it can send laser, <laughs> well, it can send lasers faster than the speed of light to the Xeno Galaxy, which is apparently where Krypton's from, and it can detect what's in kryptonite, which. Fifteen point oh eight percent of it is plutonium. Right. Now, doesn't that pretty much mean that that stuff's going to be radioactive for and deadly for anybody? Wizards, wizards, okay, wizards. <laughs> it's that point five seven percent unknown that makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, it's got that promethium in it, which I, is promethium an actual element? I don't know. I, I know it's a spaceship. And how promethium. how can it have xenon in it? If xenon's an inert gas, xenon is a gas. It's an inert gas, which means that it can't mix with anything else. <laughs> it's just like the Colonel's secret recipe, man. Yeah. But, and that they actually, they got it right for the laser beam, if you notice. You know, when they, when they shot the laser, yes, we got, we got it right. Oh, the kryptonite laser beam? Because it just sensed what his weakness was. Yeah, it's the computer sensed his weakness and was able to replicate it. That was before the computer became sentient, though. No, but the computer did, does scan him when he shows up. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. It had a little... Right, Ross uh, is saying never underestimate the power of computers, and you see the computer scanning Superman. Yeah, the stupid computer. 
why it decided to create a bubble, I don't know, but no, you know an invisible bubble? bubble that you can see. That bubble reminded me of those little <laughs> bubbles we had when we were kids that you'd put the stuff at the end of a plastic tube and blow into it. Oh my it. gosh. A little right. ball. You remember that? You inhale the and get high. They're from Whammo, but yeah. I forget what they're called. So, you know, they, they broke a hell of a lot easier than Superman. He would have gotten out of it really quick because he pinched the end and made a little unattractive seam. But yeah, that's what that reminded me of, which I hadn't thought of in years. I doubt they even make those because they're so toxic out there. Okay, the reason why the tanker commander looks so familiar to you is he played the president in Superman 4. God damn it, they really just called made, called everybody back, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. See, I, don't His, uh, I, I can see it now, you know, that three seconds he was on the screen. He was on. He was in the movie on a screen. Spoilers! <laughs> I only saw it once back in 87, I think. Or whatever the well, oh, well now, now, you can, now you can look for him. Oh, yeah. Well, now I want to sit down and watch that, but I won't do it until we do another and, podcast. And that guy that you said that looks so familiar, Gordon Rawlings, the one that got stepped on and everything during the opening sequence, yeah. he was the fisherman in Superman 2 when, when, when Zod and them came and landed at the lake. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, Pouring you out see, the coffee. I see that guy. You know, whenever you watch stuff on the BBC, you see the same actors in almost every TV show. So mm-hmm. maybe they have, maybe in uh, Britain, uh, you see a lot of these guys working on everything. Because I know that we watch a lot of BBC shows here and see the same people over and over and over and over again. So. Hell, you go through the adventures of Superman with George Reeves, you see the same people yes. over and over again. Yeah. Playing but, different characters. But now, John, John Ratzenberger, of course, was in Superman and in Superman 2. But he didn't no, wind John up. Ratzenberger in this one. Well, he, no, because he's filming Cheers. He's doing Cheers now. Yeah. Right? He's at the bar. Smart man. He, he wasn't at the bar next to Superman. That would have been funny. That would have been really cool. Well, he went from NASA technician to mail carrier. But I guess if he couldn't get the missile to explode, he probably got fired anyway. He was off. Right. Yeah, he was the missile technician. He was the missile technician. they lost the lunar excursion module and a whole crew. So he probably got fired from that. He was also a rebel in Star Wars. So he had a very, very illustrious career. Yeah, you keep losing shit. After all that, what's left but the postal service? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, there, Superman. You don't want to go flinging his nuts at the. At the, at the how many years of bad luck are you gonna get? It? <laughs> no? Oh, I needed that. I think we've exhausted this film. Yeah, probably. Yep. Well, being that we've, we've moved on to other things. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say this. If you really like Annette O'Toole, there's a movie out there with her and Martin Short in it called Cross My Heart. And I, I, I came across that just a couple of years later, and, and that, that was a movie I watched over and over just because of her. Hmm. Well, she will always be Ma Kent to me. Then don't watch Cross My Heart. <laughs> <laughs> is, she, is she nude it up? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let me write this down. <laughs> the teacher in the original Bridge to Terabithia. Brawless, Sue Ellen Mischke on uh, Seinfeld, of course. Mm. Um, oh, uh, Adult Beverly in It. Oh, Annette. I like that they kept her in constant from the from the first movie right up until the, uh, the third one. So good for her. Good for her. Now, of course, in Superman 4, and, and you guys will talk about this or we'll talk about it if we're all on there. She, they don't even mention her, and of course Clark and Lois are back to you know their shenanigans. So they don't even mention what happened with Lana. Well, apparently she got another job somewhere else. So she got fired from the planet. She's not she's not the uh, secretary anymore. Or she quit. Or she quit. Maybe she got laid off during the office renovations. 
Because the office of Superman 4 looks completely different. She thought Clark was cheating because he kept running off at a moment's notice without warning. Wasn't she thought movie? he was cheating, and, you know, that was the end of it. She she couldn't stand to be there, so she went somewhere else. You also get the feeling watching Superman 4 that it's years later. Mm. Was 1983 that weird time period where Superman was dating Lois and Clark was dating Lana simultaneously? Yeah, that was during that, well, around it was, that time. It was the Bronze Age, so I think they yeah. were... Both Lana and uh, Lois well, were chasing he, Superman at that point, weren't they? No, no, they were, no. They were living Lois in Metropolis. Had, Lois had broken up with Superman. And so Clark, uh, there was a the, a uh, storyline where Clark got split into two by, what was it, Lord Satanus? And uh, so he only had half his powers. Each of them only had half the powers. And so he would get sick and he would get whatever. And Lana was really looking after him. Um and so their they, their relationship started up. So his relationship with Lois was over, basically. And they never really rekindled that relationship, uh, except in the whatever happened to the, the the Man of Steel, the Man of Tomorrow, which of course is an imaginary tale. But then again, it better it better tale. Tale be an imaginary. Aren't they tale. all? <laughs> yes, aren't they all? He should have stuck. I try I try to forget that story ever, ever was written. I have it somewhere, and I you know what? I think I only have the first issue. I don't think I ever bought the second one to see. Finding the second issue was hell. Yeah, until, because it, it took too. years before I could find it, even at a comic book shop. And I and several friends, we read the first chapter and went all around looking for the second chapter. Oh. And, you know, the thing is, the first chapter, you know, of course, it was Kurt Swan with George Perez inking. And that made it beautiful. The second chapter was Kurt Swan with Kurt Schaffenberger inking. Which made it less beautiful. Well, it just made it look, look like all the old stuff. And right. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. you honestly, Bob Fisher, have a meltdown, just say whatever happens to the Man of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> now you guys are going to make me try and find that comic and read it again. And then try and find number two. But, you know, I can't – ever since Burn came on, I just couldn't – I couldn't go back. I've always – now we're getting yeah the, we're getting off topic, but when Burn left Superman, that's the first time I think something ever broke my heart when I started to I, I noticed you know before comics were comics, and then all of a sudden it was like what's wrong with my world here? <laughs> what happened? This isn't John Byrne, you know. When Burn left Superman is when I started reading it, and that's not and that's not a comment on Burn. That's just kind of when I came in. Oh, I came in balls deep when Burn started the Man of Steel, and I I, I came in with uh, the Exile arc. Oh yeah, that, that's basically what they call burnout. Because yeah, right after he left. So I, I came, I came in with the episode where he leaves and goes into space. So I had to backtrack through all that John Byrne stuff. Uh, <laughs> lucky you, because I that to me, I just love that. It wasn't until I was thirty that I actually read Superman number twenty-two. Oh wow! That's how long it took me to find that. All right, so why don't we uh, wrap this up? All right, so we'll start with uh. Brian, where can the good listeners find you? Okay, you can see me uh, nearly every month on Third Degree Burn, where we talk about all things John Byrne. And right now we're in the uh, middle of the Dark Phoenix saga, which uh, we're we're doing basically X-Men 135 through 137. We'll probably cover some other things around that uh, as we as we go through this event. Um, yeah. I can also be found on the, uh, the Fear of the Walking Dead podcast with Scott McGregor, Mike here, and my wife, Beth. Um, and then I'll show from time to time on Weekly Heroics. And, uh, you know, just whatever else. You know, I, I'm easy. You know, call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dario? Speaking of being easy, I'm part of the Eat It and Beat It podcast that I do with uh, Chris Honeywell once a month, where we look at uh, 
gastronomic wonders and American and or erotica from all over the world. And uh, podcaster for hire. I'm a hired gun. I'll go wherever, like like uh, Brian, I'll go wherever I'm needed, man. Always happy to talk Superman because I do really love the character. All right. And uh, Pat? Uh, I am one of the hosts of Next Generation's First Generation, a Star Trek Next Generation commentary podcast where we release uh, each episode concurrent with its 30th anniversary. And um, I feel confident because uh, Scott told me it was okay saying that I am the third co-host of um, Weekly Heroics on uh, Two True Freaks, where we will start covering the boys very soon. All right. And uh, aside from here. You can, uh, like I mentioned before, you can find me with, with Brian and Scott and, and Beth over on uh, Fear of the Walking Dead cast. And that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Next time, I'm going to be uh, going back to the Super Friends into the Lost Years, the uh, series of episodes that did not air in the U.S., at least not initially. So, until then, feedback is always welcome. The email address is manascreen at gmail.com. Almost forgot my shtick there. <laughs> You can join the conversation over the Facebook group. Put Management Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at uh, Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, remember, Superman's drunk. <laughs> <laughs>